Uh, this is Mike Norton, zombie and pug enthusiast, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> That's a start. Oh, that's a fire. Yeah. Seriously, Matthew, if, if you used a prepackaged woohoo, what would be the point of me being here? I know, I know, that's true. Well, I was. I, you guys know I listened to old episodes, and I did hear one where they were talking about the fact that you uh, are always on the show. Like, you've only been missing in action like twice in the entire time you've been doing this. Was it? Yeah, it it's, was. I, it, it's it's funny, but it, which is why, which okay. So we did a Q and A last week, and Jeff asked if um, I'd ever missed an episode since you weren't here last week, and of course Jason wasn't here the week before, and he's he, he's the most absent of the three of us. Uh, and and basically the answer was uh, Mother Nature would keep me from being on entire episodes when we lived in the old house. Uh, and there was one episode where I was driving down south the night we were recording, so I couldn't make that episode. But yeah, for, for the most part, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm like Cal Ripken. Even as long as I'm just there for one inning, I'm, I'm, the, the, the streak continues. But There you go. This is going to be one hell of a one, one inning because this is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 852. Damn. Yes, Ooh. and I'm Vince B. Welcome back, Vince B. I am David A. Price. And, in case you didn't hear going in, or you didn't pick up on the down low, we have two, count them, two guests. We're surrounded by greatness this week. Both of them, big brains. Both of them, savants. Not of the idiot stripe. They're just plain savants. The first one, Vaz. The first one, is the writer, artist, illustrator, extraordinaire, Matthew Allison. Kank or you've heard Kank him here is. a million times, and we always open the door for him. This other guy, I don't know how he crawled under, but he's here. Um, if you want a comic book archivist, the guy that uncovers those little information nuggets that nobody else seems to be able to dig up, He's your dude, especially mm-hmm. concerning who? Steve Ditko. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's Zach Crusay. Hey, now. It, it, Two of my favorite creators. It's been a long, Ooh. long time. It has. My Skype, which is incredibly stupid, but mm-hmm. my Skype says for both of you that we have chatted more than a year ago. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Mm-hmm. For Zach, probably. I don't think for Matthew, no. Oh. No, I was, yeah, It's it's been less than a year. I was yeah. on that, uh, the book of the month. Um, yeah, for, for, for Pusay. Yeah. Right. See, Skype is dumb. Yeah. I should know Definitely this. Definitely more than a year for me, though. Yeah. Wow. It's been a minute. I think it was just to uh, to promote or no. announce that the book was out. Uh, no, the last time I was on was um, just before the Eisner's. That's right. Yeah, we had you and Tom. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yep. yep. I was still living in, you know, I was still living near the gaping maw of hell. <laughs> the hell mouth. <laughs> uh, you know, if you guys like your collected editions 
and your omnibu and your manga and all other things, um, sequential art, where do you go to get those books at a price lower than Amazon in most cases? Well, it's right in the name, cheapgraphicnovels.com. That's cheapgraphicnovels.com. They have everything you need below, far below, retail. Here's the deal. If you have never, ever placed an order at cheapgraphicnovels.com, do so. And you will receive an email confirmation. They know you placed an order. They're going to fill it and get it to you. Lickety split. But once you get that email confirmation, you want to reply to it. And here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, I was referred to you by 11 o'clock comics. And once you do this, you will receive another email that gives you free shipping credit for your second order. That is when you buy the library, right? See how it works? Just go to cheapgraphicnovels.com. The prices are ridiculously low. I get all my stuff there anymore. Love them. Go. Cheapgraphicnovels.com. That's that. I'm going to be a big old bummer. I'm not drinking anything but water. Same. Because it's time, it's time to drop some some LBs. And I can't do it drinking a whole bottle of wine or a bunch of, bunch of different beers. So Moderation, baby. I don't know the meaning of that word. Yeah, we have to work on that. But no, I, uh, I am too drinking a big old bottle of water. Oh, cowards. <laughs> Matthew, what do you got? I'm drinking uh, Topo Chico Mexican mineral water with a twist of lime. Wow, you are pinky out. That's Where awesome. Where did you get that? With the lime or just Topo Chico in general? In general. Uh, our grocery stores here have it in Chicago. That's great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we buy it by the case. For some There's... reason, it, it feels like the bubbles are, are more effervescent in this than like a LaCroix or something. Well, it could just the, be us, our effect on it. Yeah, well, that's yeah. true, too. That's uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to um, – the the local market is, um, caters to a lot of um, Latinx and, and Spanish-speaking folks. So I'm going to see if uh, if they might have it. See if they have um, – we used to be able to get the grapefruit, and then when we were in New York uh, a couple years ago, they had tangerine, which I've never seen anywhere other than at this little – out of the way grocery store in the Hudson Valley. Interesting. Zach, you said you were you were drinking something. Yeah, I'm drinking champ- champagne of beers, Miller High Life. <laughs> you should have just said you were drinking water. It says it on it says it on the bottle. They can't just print things on the label. So right. This is obviously this is the best you're going to get. <laughs> it says so. Wow. Right on the label. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good for. <laughs> Good for you. Champagne like of beers. Yeah. Uh, well. on the paint. <laughs> everybody playing at home, we have a little something special for you. This is, Dap, the second time we've done this? Third. Uh, I think it's the third. I think we've done it with the three of us. I think this is the first time we've enlisted outside help. Okay. This little thing is called Longbox Roulette. Now, 
how do you play long box roulette? Well, ideally, um, if you were not going to cheat, what you would do is hopefully you are like many and long box your comics in no significant order or title. Like you don't have a giant box of Amazing Spider-Man, right? Continuous. Like that's not how you play long box roulette. Um, you technically you should have a bunch of different books in the box and then you tiptoe your little fingers all the way down the box and boom you stop and you pull out a book and that is the book you bring to the table now I cheated the hell you say I did I cheated because um, my books were procured from a local comic shop and so I got to pick which one I wanted to bring to the table so yes uh, it was a spur of the moment plucking of books from a single long box but uh three of the books i bought came from that long box so it's i'm cheating by picking the one i picked but i'm guessing my my compatriots here did it the fair and square way no no i told you i didn't well see <laughs> illusion matthew you it's gotta be to everybody see, matthew. no one would well, okay. know I'll, I'll 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 extrapolate on that later but okay um <laughs> and and i i have a, a method to my madness which is why i came up with the idea to do another long box roulette was that um i think mine in terms of the three issues that were chosen mine is the most insignificant uh story-wise i think so I'm just gonna go first and tell you why. I, s- story is 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 a bit of a. I I don't, because I mean they're four chapter. I will. I mean we'll, we'll get into it, but it's I don't. When I hear story, I I I think something is connecting them, or it's supposed to be like a beginning, middle, and end. And but they and do I, have I, that. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. They well they as far as page count, but it's it's a. Uh, Ah, the, the chapters have beginning, middles, and end. They're just not all that impactful. They're they're slight, right? Even in I'm, terms I'm, of the I'm missing the the connectivity between the four is what I'm saying. It, it's but, oh, I mean, there's I, none. There's none. Right, right. Well, that, not, that's what I'm saying. That that's why the story is. is I hear story that that that's what I'm. I'm. It's it's all semantics. It's just, but it's it's. I mean, I I enjoy the hell out of them. But yeah, by all means. Well, the, the I so I'm just going to let the cat out of the proverbial bag and tell you what I picked. I chose from I think this is 1985. Yes, it is 1985 from Marvel Comics. Doctor Who number eleven. Why did I pick this comic? Uh, besides the fact that I love Doctor Who, um, I thought it was. <laughs> ridiculously um sad that a book featuring not only a beautiful cover but uh two interior stories by the visionary behind what is widely regarded as the greatest comic book of all time uh we're talking about watchmen uh the artist in question is dave gibbons i tried to find this book digitally um it, it was very very difficult to find this book difficult uh, digitally in fact i didn't even do it 
I couldn't do it. I couldn't. At this point, let's be honest. One assumes that every comic ever printed, more or less, has been scanned by those people. Well, I guess they don't care for Doctor Who because the Marvel run of Doctor Who, if it has been scanned at any point, is hiding. It's elusive. It, it, it was not within my grasp. So what I had to do was I had to go back to old issues of Doctor Who Monthly in which the stories were printed in black and white. And I had to pull the pages. There are two Gibbons Doctor Who chapters in here. And there are two chapters of Absalom Dark um, by David Lloyd uh, on art in the, in the back. I had to pull all four chapters from uh, Doctor Who Monthly 13 and 14. And then um, the, the Absalom Dark uh, chapters were in um, different issues of Doctor Who Monthly. Like, it was crazy that the, 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 the hoops I had to jump through just to get this book for my friends to read. And then um, I did a little bit of research. It was reprinted by IDW. In, in, a, in a treasury. Yeah, but no, it was also in a single issue. IDW published uh, Doctor Who Classics. So this thing was published in a single issue, and it was also published in a compilation. Uh, yeah, like you said, I, I think it's a Doctor Who Omnibus or Doctor Who uh, Dave Gibbons uh, collection. But <laughs> those are out of print. And I think it's ridiculous that one should have to hunt for not only a Doctor Who comic, it should be readily available given the popularity of, of the, the franchise, but a Dave Gibbons Doctor Who comic. It does not register with me, especially when after you look at the art and it is absolutely astounding. Well, it's Dave Gibbons. Is that redundant at this point to say Dave Gibbons is astounding? Okay. Um, but the, the, the rub is Marvel, who at the time was very, very deep in the Marvel UK stuff. What with the Transformers and G.I. Joe and just pulling um, uh, stuff over to our shores and reprinting it. And um, they recolored, or they colored. Not They didn't recolor. The stuff was originally published in black and white. So Marvel colored it, and they do not give credit to the colorist. Like, what? Because Dap asked me earlier in the week, hey, who colored that? I was like, um... Let me check. And I checked, and there's no credit in this issue for, for colorists. Like, it's it's sad. Because the colors are really nice. But you guys wouldn't know because I didn't provide color work for you to read. But here's the deal. It's very the, – the stories are very silly. Um, it's uh, focusing on the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker. And um, in the first story, the, the, the TARDIS pops into a world that's been at war for uh, a millennium. Uh, they even forgot why they're at war. And something about the gravitational wajimahuji of the, the TARDIS makes um, a local or a soldier's ship go off course and blow up. So the soldier's pissed. At, well, he's actually a mercenary. Uh, he's pissed at the doctor. So... Um, you know, trouble ensues. And oddly enough, like, I don't think I've ever seen this in a Doctor Who comic. 
the doctor at one point um, realizes that this guy's a maniac and locks him out of the TARDIS. <laughs> and then the and then the guy is blown to bits and dies at the end. That's the end of the story. Like, okay, the doctor's accosted by this dude. You know, fight ensues. Doctor escapes. Um, the, the things go b- kabloom, and the doctor locks the guy out of the TARDIS, and he dies. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Right? There's really nothing more to this story. I guess if you wanted to pick a a, a moral or a, some kind of underlying... Uh, Don't be rude. No, live by the sword, die by the sword. Right? This guy's a mercenary. And he's like, you line him up and I'll kill him. That's the deal. That's what I do. And, and he keeps saying, you know what I mean? That's the deal. And at the end, he's killed himself. And he's like, this isn't the deal. <laughs> This is not the Grand Slam. And he dies. That's it. Boom. That's the end. <laughs> and I felt I felt bad for Spider. I wanted to make sure that that that, that little thing was all right. But maybe not. Uh, that was cool. It, I would steal that idea. Yeah, right? Oh, you heard it here, right? Nobody's ever going to know, right? No. Um, <laughs> inspiration comes from a multitude of sources. And Spider is very cool. It's like uh, the, uh, the... Almost just like Brainiac. The old Brainiac. The... the... Mm-hmm. But compact, right? Yes, like, yes, yes, yeah. Like it could be a brooch or like a lapel pin for a guy that just pounces out and has its little tendrils and does its nasty work. It's a cool idea. It really is. Yeah, I'm surprised. It seems like something they could have done, you know, when Spider-Man had armor, you know, have his like a little chest drone. emblem come out. Yeah. It's true, yeah. But I mean, but the the real focus here for me, anyway, is just Gibbons's work. Like it is, 100%. it's crazy accomplished, unbelievably detailed. From the the battle suits to the spider to the the spaceships and the environment and the the the, the foes and just there's one panel where uh, the doctor's underlit. Um, and it's just gorgeous. Like it's an amazing work by by Gibbons. But uh, again, I'm going to try not to be redundant. But those are the words one uses when describing Dave Gibbons. Like, and he he packs more in these eight pages than most artists do in twenty. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. Doesn't need to because it's a licensed book that's going <laughs> to right. be sold by the fact that it's got Doctor Who. The art could be total trash. It doesn't need to be this good. And he's got cartooning stuff in here. The the there's a sequence where there's two missiles side by side, and they have question marks coming out of thought yeah. balloons, and then they start to go towards each other, yeah. and then it changes it to exclamation points. That is brilliant cartooning. That's genius level cartooning for just a throwaway like. This seems like a like it would have been in the 2000 AD comic, and they just happened to throw Doctor Who into it. Right, it it is gorgeous stuff. Um, yeah, because because uh, homeboy looks like he could be right out of two thousand AD. Yeah, right. Um, it, but it, it should not be this hard to find. Uh, in in the second story, uh, which picks up right after the first, the Doctor um, warps in to an underground uh, railway and is accosted by. Um, cannibals. Mm-hmm. 
and is saved by a female ninja named Angel. Of the guardian angel. And that's and unfortunately <laughs> there's a cliffhanger. So we don't know uh well we do know the doctor came out of it okay, but we we don't know the specifics because it's continued. The next chapter is called You Are What You Eat. Um yeah, it's a neat riff on on the the guardian angels of NY City. And uh, she's uh, the thing that I had to laugh about is the doctor is so perceptive. He's amazingly uh, astute <laughs> that he doesn't yeah, know that yeah. it's a woman. Like, <laughs> you can tell just from when she's hopping around. Yeah, yeah and no, and she takes sure. the hood off and she's gorgeous. Well, it's Gibbons, right? She's gorgeous, and it's like, oh, I'm delighted to meet you. Yeah, I bet. Uh-huh. I'm yeah, sure, yeah. But the, the, I mean, the cannibals are perfect. They got you know bones in their nose, and the, the, they look like uh, you know hills have eyes type deal. With the... it, it made me think of the British movie Raw Meat. Um, yes, uh, also yeah. called Deathline. Very yeah. much in that vein. <laughs> I love you so much, aka Deathline. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Just so everybody's aware. Yeah, on the same page. Now, again, it's uh, there's no we can't go too deep into this. Uh, it it it's I think there's even less meat, pun intended, on the bones in the second story than there is the first. Like there's really well, it it, it, it remains to be seen how it how it turns out. Uh, but again, beautiful cartooning by uh, Gibbons. So I what he he did with the scarf in this? It's almost like Doctor Octopus, where it's yeah, he's got like a second set that. of arms. And it now, actually gets cut. Like, I don't think I've yeah. ever seen and the scarf right. be cut. at it. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. These stories do not feel like Doctor Who to me, and, and I'm not super well-versed in Doctor Who, so I don't know, like... Well, uh, they're, I don't know. Because of the, the minuscule budget, uh, yeah. traditionally, uh, of the show, they, they would never get into antics like this because it would cost too much to film. They'd have to pay all these actors to be these cannibals. But sure. they're, they're, if, if this was ever shot, it would be static and there'd be two cannibals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the doctor in the comics is much more involved with the storytelling than the doctor in the, you know, the traditional uh tv episodes yeah he did a brilliant job of capturing his likeness like he's like mark drucker level almost yeah a caricature but not quite yeah he's got that little well not little but that that goiter that mm-hmm. babe baker has going on because baker yeah. wasn't a young i mean he wasn't super young at this time but um yeah it's it's uh it's perfect and in the letters pages you guys don't know because I didn't give you them. The, um, the some of the readers complain that the uh, the doctor's ensemble isn't um, canon in some spots. Like it's not in we, perfect sync with what they yeah. saw in the episodes. And the, the, the question a, mark on the lapels. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cute, but you know, it's it, unimportant. But some people. Um, thrive on that stuff and that's okay right well it was part of um it was one of the later doctors would have a question mark on their on 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 their uh suit jacket lapel so i mean it 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 exists but yeah it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the fourth doctor's attire and and the talking about how 
elaborate it would have been if they wanted to film an episode featuring something like this. It just it reminds me of watching random episodes of like Blake Seven, and it's supposed to be like some rundown war-torn planet or area and and it's they're supposed to be surrounded by a bunch of of uh, cannibals for example and it's just like three people just wandering around back and forth because they don't ha- they can't afford more than that the um the other thing i wanted to ask was because i'm i really didn't get I, i've i've seen a random baker episode here and there thanks to pbs but i really didn't get plugged into doctor who until the ninth doctor eccleston when when the series was revived do you know at this time when when this story was these stories were presented did what was he traveling without a companion at the time no no baker always pretty much always had a companion okay okay yeah and he had the I'm, dog too right yeah the canine, canine? Yeah, yeah yeah um so uh, the the thing that begs the question is for me anyway i'm wondering if they brought gibbons in to do the cover like in 1985 because these oh right because i mean the the um stories were already in the can for a couple years i'm guessing at the time of this publication but i don't know if the cover is is a new thing for the marvel comic because the proportions of the british comics are different than american comics so if if this was um from the british comic it would have been cropped the 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 american version is cropped differently because of the 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 width difference of british comics i don't know uh but isn't that cool that in 1985 he's doing doctor who covers and then in 86 does the greatest comic of all time (laughs) okay this is so silly i but this is the see uh, again for those of you playing at home this is the whole purpose i think of the long box roulette to just it may not be the most revolutionary issue um in the world but you can get some a lot of enjoyment out of them especially when you're surrounded by friends like this Mm -hmm. um there's an interview with terrence dix uh, which would appeal to Doctor Who fans. One of the things, Dap, I'm surprised you didn't bring it up. The first story, the title, Doctor Who in The Deal. The Deal. No, but Doctor Who in. Like what? You would think. Oh, my God, yes. Right? You would think yeah. it would be Doctor Who, The Deal. Or just, yeah, just, but yeah, you're right. Doctor yeah. Who. In should be the doctor in the deal, but not yeah. You're absolutely which right. 100%. I I have to look at the original because I'm holding the Marvel comic in my hand right now, and I don't recall if the oh it must say in because you see it right. Yeah. So on your copy it does. So in the Doctor Who monthly it did say Doctor Who in the deal. That's blasphemous. But in on the second story, it just says Doctor Who. Right, then, right. Shit, wow. somebody's going to lose their job over that. Mm-hmm. So but anyway, the, the the was the so this Marvel comic is a reprint of the UK magazines. Yes, but colorized. They okay. Were, they were, were black the, and white. So the well, magazines mostly. had were, were anthologies that just had random serials. So like, yeah, they weren't necessarily. So here's first eight pages. This is one story. Next set of eight pages is another story. Oh, you're being way generous. The, the Doctor Who monthly 
which I be, I don't know if it began, began Doctor Who Weekly or if it turned into Doctor Who Weekly from Monthly. Either way, it's, it's, it's both called Doctor Who Monthly and Doctor Who Weekly was mostly text pieces and photographs with comics, but there wasn't like a shit ton of comics in it. Um, maybe, I don't know, if, if the issue was 48 pages, maybe 16 of them would be comics. So it wasn't like straight sequential art in any of them. And then they just so, dropped okay. the comics after a while and just recycled the old stuff. Um, so it's like old old DC books from the 50s and 60s where it's yeah. just like here's a couple of stories they don't yeah. they're not necessarily connected. Yeah. They might be but but in this case like this the second story obviously was connected was was continued into the next issue or, or, yes. or subsequent issue. So but okay, all right. Yeah, and is closely tied to the the who mythology because when your name's Absalom Dark Dalek Killer, I think mm-hmm. you, you kind of know what you do, and you know everyone else does too. Uh, it, it's two stories uh, where Absalom is rounding up uh, warm bodies for his uh, crew. Uh, the first now, huh? a- a- Absalom is a character from the show. Or was he created? For no, this, he. For, I don't think he was. Well, maybe I don't know the entire lore of the TV Rattle show, Pals. but from yeah. what I've seen, he was just in the comics. Okay. Yeah. Look, can you imagine the BBC shooting this? Like, where the hell would they get the money for this? <laughs> um, at the time, anyway. So, um, Absalom's rounding up guys for his crew. The first one is Harma, the Ice Warrior. See, direct connection to to Doctor Who. And the second is Mercurius. Um, and that's the better of the two stories. The first one has a, um, a murder-for-profit angle on it, where there's this slash Killerstein's murderama, where you know people pay to be killed or to kill something else. And that's where uh, Absalom goes in and gets the Ice Warrior. And then the se- in the second one with uh, Mercurius, he's playing a really cool game um, with a robot called Clickbrain, with a K, Clickbrain. And whatever seems to be going on on the game board is happening in real life, which is kind of neat. But other than that, they're... It's depressing, you know. The it is. Yeah, it hurts me. You just shut the robot off at the end. That that ending was. I really like the ending of that. (laughs) I really thanks, Zach. So, so first of all, that so click brain reminded me of uh, Zayton Honeycut, the fugitoid. Right, he kind of looks. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah. yep, yep, he does. Um, but at the end, when when he shuts him off, and then he slowly says, you know, what what does he say? Don't shut don't me down. Leave Something. me. Here. Don't leave me. And then they leave him. Oh man, that was beautiful. <laughs> that was, I got such a laugh out of that, and had and really enjoyed it. That was my favorite of this Doctor Who issue. That was my favorite panel. Awesome. Beautiful. See, there is there is joy in them their boxes. Yeah. Well, but I think the British the British comics were so sardonic like that. Just oh, that yeah. real black sense of humor. Yeah. Yep. Um, especially 2000 AD. Yeah. Got, got really dark at times and still does. Um, but yeah, but 2000 AD, especially with the dread stuff, I mean, that's that, that's kind of just poking fun at America. I mean, we deserve it, but it, that that's just, 
that's satire more than anything else I view that as. Yeah, and you ask um, a thousand comic book readers, maybe two of them know or realize that the Dread stuff takes place in the United States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that sad? It's crazy. Yeah. Right? You're, you know... Like mission mission all the failed. Blocks don't give it away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> after yep. ridiculous American celebrities and, and politicians. Yeah, Nixon block. Uh, <laughs> but, okay, back to um, – my story gets even weirder because uh, one of the other books I pulled was a reprint of uh, – quality comics reprint of 2080 Presents. And within it – there is Dave Gibbons' art. And it's like, it was Dave Gibbons' day. And I just, I'm going to I'm gonna end my segment here by saying it should not be this difficult to find quality reprints of art by the visual stylist of the greatest comic book of all time. Like, it just shouldn't be. There should be a Dave Gibbons library somewhere where you can buy volumes and, and, you know, stock your shelves with some of the art by one of the all-time greatest. Silly that this is so elusive to, to find. That's it. That's all I have. Didn't Dark Horse recently do a, um, like a, a, a Gibbons retrospective kind of book? I hope they did, because the man certainly deserves... Oh, yes! But it's, it's, it's text and comics. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They did. Yeah. You're you're exactly right. Yep. I love the man's work. It's and, so good. Yeah. And Matthew, what did you say when when I said, "Hey, you want to join us for this episode?" What What was your response? Well, this the whole like past week and a half, I've been working on this massive Watchmen commission. So I have been looking at Watchmen, the artist uh, artifact edition and my my old Warner Brothers uh, hardcover that's falling apart like every day for the past week and a half and despairing because he's so masterful. And here I am trying to recreate his characters. And, yeah. and I'm like, I hope the person I'm doing this for <laughs> appreciates it because I'm learning a lot from it. Just, you know, going through those pages again and again, day after day. But it is proving like. I think to your point about, you know, why there isn't more reverence for him, it's almost as if Watchmen itself as an entity has overshadowed his contribution to it, which is a huge shame. And like the people who know, know, I mean, I, I think that the the story and, and what Alan Moore did is so impactful and important that Gibbons is almost a side note. And he really shouldn't be. Um, and I, I say that, and probably most people are like, no, that's not true. I, I appreciate him. But um, I think that maybe it is that the work itself has just blown up to such an extent that he's not really um, given his due. Right. I think anyone that would listen to this would realize that Gibbons was a, a, mm-hmm. a crucial part of that, that magic. But there's a lot more eyes on Watchmen than than anyone who would check in here. So yeah. right. I I I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. That I, I think the visuals are almost um I don't even want to say it, secondary to, to that story. But you don't mm. have the story without the visuals. So it's 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 Ouroboros time. Well yeah, and what I'm learning, I mean there's just so there are so many Easter eggs and I know Alan Moore planted a lot of those, but when you look at this older Gibbons work and you realize like 
there's stuff in these Doctor Who stories that he's putting in there. Right. Uh, uh, Parkhouse, who, that wrote it, uh, probably did not put that stuff in the script. This is Gibbons saying, I'm going to do something interesting with these missiles or, you know, the, the, the scarf. Like, so I, I think that, you know, it, it's understated if people, you know, just throw out his name like, oh, yeah, Warren Gibbons. It's like uh, Gibbons did a lot of heavy lifting on that. Sure. Exactly. Yep. All right. Who wants to go next? I would love to hear from our guest. Nice. Which one? <laughs> that would well, be well, it's yeah, got to be you because I, I got this. I got this note really late. <laughs> I didn't think yet. So yeah. Be, All right. Right. So for those me... listening, uh, I we I pulled Zach in later in the day, so he didn't get a chance to pick. But he's a good boy. He read yeah, them. He read them all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I want to say something here because I'm going back and looking at your email, Vince. You said we were doing the single shuffle. Did I? It should be long box roulette. Single shuffle. So now that you're talking about the long box roulette, I cheated, but not as badly as as it sounds. (laughs) I pulled from a box that I knew had all Daredevil comics in it. And my hope was that I was going to get one of the Anacenti John Romita Jr. issues because I I have a good chunk of those, but they're all sporadic. Like, I don't have a full run. So, therefore, I've never, like, sat down and read all that stuff. So, I thought, well, if I, you know, maybe pick up an issue, that'll get me started on those. But what I ended up picking was um, Daredevil 225. And had, had... any of you guys read this before? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. I, I did, but to be totally honest, I didn't remember any of it. Okay. It's probably, yes, the first time I've read it in, in decades, but yeah, I read it when it came out. Okay. So, yeah, same here. Now, it's what's interesting to me about this is that this is uh, cover dated December 1985. So, we're only two issues away from uh, Born Again. And I I read through this and tried to find um, little things that foreshadowed that story. So this is written by Denny O'Neill, art by David Mazzucchelli. No inker on this, so he's inking himself. Um, and then uh, it's – let's see. So the, the following issue was co-written by Frank Miller and Denny O'Neill – so I'm guessing that Miller was talking to O'Neill and uh, the editor, Ralph Macchio, about what he was planning to do with um, Born Again. <clears throat> because you're starting to see the seeds of that in this story. And um, it's it's alternately very bleak and downbeat and also super ridiculous. Um, it starts out with the vulture living in a pigeon coop um you have this old man who's probably in his 70s although his body looks like jack lalane like he's in super good shape um and he's he's just at his wits end he's he's doesn't know what to do with his life he's contemplating um just giving up but he's like i'm gonna just embrace the fact that i'm embodying a vulture and he decides he's going to start robbing graves. Um, 
and he's got a newspaper in his hand, which I'm assuming means he's reading the obituaries to find out, uh, you know, if, if someone well to do has died and, um, it gets into the, um, is it Heather Glenn? Yeah. Yeah. So she had just recently committed suicide, I think in issue 220. Uh, so you're already seeing the downward spiral from Matt Murdock there. And again, I, I'm questioning if Miller told um, O'Neill to put that in there. Because um, that issue was not a, Frank Miller had nothing to do with it, or at least he wasn't credited. But again, like this is, these are things that are impacting Murdoch. Um, so we see the vulture jump off the, the roof of this building, heading towards the graveyard. And at the same time, Matt Murdock's heading there too, to see Heather's grave. And he's just thinking about the mess that his life has become. And <laughs> the vulture is digging up her grave in the middle of the day, broad daylight, <laughs> full vulture outfit um we don't see like the corpse out of the grave but he's got a big pile of dirt he's been at it for a while and somehow daredevil realizes it's the vulture and um they start fighting and you never really see a full image of the vulture's face um it's all you know, he's either got his wings in front of his face or you're looking down at the top of his face. He looks like grandpa from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, but with this like, you know, buff body and, um, just beautifully done sequence fight sequence that lasts for like five or six pages. And then Vulture takes off and Matt Murat goes back to the office to discover that, uh, the Nelson and Murdoch lofts as are dissolving. Like they they're losing clients left and right. He's been traveling. I, I, I vaguely remember these issues. I guess he'd been to Italy and then Arizona, which I think may have been an issue that Frank Miller wrote where he goes to a small town in Arizona. If I'm thinking of the right one. Um, but foggy reads in the riot act. He's just like, look, you're completely screwing up. This is destroying our business. Uh, it sounds like um, Foggy's marriage is on the rocks and Murdoch just takes it. You know, he realizes that he's, you know, not holding up his end of the deal and Foggy goes up onto the roof and Matt assumes that Foggy's going to jump. Uh, so he runs up there after him. And when they get up there, Foggy's just talking to the pigeons, I guess, but it turns out that the pigeon coop that we had seen earlier is on top of the building where their law office is and the vultures in there and he's been listening the whole time and daredevil comes up to save foggy realizes the vultures there. They fight again. And there's a little bit of dialogue here that I, I, again, I, I feel like O'Neill obviously was seasoned enough and savvy enough to, understand where Miller was about to take these characters. And he throws in this little bit of dialogue where he says, um, you know, basically to, to daredevil, like, you know, you're pretty much a mess. So you have no business pointing fingers at me, uh, because your life clearly is, is headed down the drain too. So I just, I like the fact that he used this old, much older character as almost this, you know, something that was portending what was about to happen 
to to Matt Murdock. Um, again, don't know if if Miller suggested that or this was just O'Neill figuring like that's a good character to do that with. Um, so in general, like this comic is is pretty serious and and I don't read a lot of newer comics, but I feel like if someone was to write this story today, there'd be like tons of jokes in it. People would be making fun of the vulture, you know, like how do you go to the bathroom in that costume and uh, making fun of his age or whatever, but it's, it's all done pretty uh, downbeat. And, um, you know, I, I think Miller obviously gets a lot of credit for ushering in the grim and gritty era but you can see in this stuff and in like the the Batman comics that Doug Munch was um, writing that Gene Colan was doing around the same time, like comics were already headed in that direction. And um, you know this this particular issue is like a really good example of that. Uh, and, and then on top of that, Mazzucchelli's art is just so mature compared to what a lot of other people were doing. So like we were saying with Dave Gibbons, you look at this and you think this is a really assured cartoonist who is you know granted there's a lot of fight scenes in this but they're all done so brilliantly um and you can understand why frank miller wanted to work with him you see this stuff and you're like man i i I don't know if miller had to be talked into going back to the daredevil stuff i know he was working on electric assassin at the same time and then the the love and war graphic novel that he did with sinkevich this is only two months before the first issue of Dark Knight Returns comes out. So his his world's about to change. The entire world of comics is about to change. And this this issue is just like a an interesting merging of these worlds where there's silliness of these characters interspersed with the more serious direction that they were about to take. So I, I was pleasantly surprised to go back and reread this issue it i I thought it was really good i think you're on to something with the uh o'neill touching base with miller Mm -hmm. because if in the fight scene there's a the christian iconography is there like Mm -hmm. when, when he's trying to stop the the vulture from going away he he straddles the cross a a giant stone crucifix oh yeah and then and then it's dragged um, and smashes. So, yep. I mean, maybe uh, Frank said, hey, throw a couple of crosses in there because that's where I'm going. I don't know. Um, but it's just, it, could it be a coincidence? I don't think so. I think they may have, have compared notes and O'Neill was setting them up for, mm-hmm. for what he was about to do. I thought this issue was really good as well. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, I like, you- I, no, I, I love this one. I thought this is a, I thought, I think this is a great issue. And I tend to agree with you about the Christian iconography, but also that that uh, headstone that they rip out of the ground so unceremoniously there um, also looks a lot like the one uh, from that very famous cover where he is uh, Matt is weeping over Electra's grave. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, that's entire. It's entirely possible that that that's coincidental. I mean, it's a rather standard sort of generic, you know, Christian-looking grave there. But on the other hand, you know, it, it it's a it it is a it is a shape that has a history with the character. Um, and I really liked um, two things I really liked about this. One is is that you know I kind of snickered when when Matt was talking about it, but I really got a kick out of the vultures' daring daylight grave robbing, you know, <laughs> uh, caper there. Like what a what a what a maneuver. Um, 
So I thought that was, I thought that was actually really charming, though, and very superhero-y in, in sharp contrast, as you were saying, to what's coming. Right, where it is not very superhero, it is very grounded, it is very film noir and bleak, and you know, and all of those things. Uh, and I kind of like that still superhero y, um, you know, panache uh, that it has. But the other thing I really liked about this too, and you kind of talked about it a little bit, was that is that scene on the roof where uh, where the vulture is back in his pigeon coop, you know, listening in, uh, you know, and it's. It, I think the thing that I like about it is because the vulture saying all of these things that are pretty direct, right? Sure. Like, you know, like Matt, like you are, you, you clearly have a problem, like whatever's going on at Nelson and Murdoch, like you have a problem. And then Daredevil says something like, like, I can't follow you. You have a diseased mind. What, whatever could it be that you were speaking of strange man? And, um, and, and that, you know, Denny O'Neill's not stupid, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. that that Matt is so stupid in that moment. I really like that that he just he's so you know figuratively blind to what's going on here, or or pretends to be as willfully so, like willfully blind to like the ways in which his world, as you said, is is rapidly just sort of deteriorating uh, as he heads for this, you know, um, you know this cliff, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I think that I think that's just really nicely done. Like looking backwards, I, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know that anybody would have seen this at the time. But looking backwards now, it's a really, as you said, it's a really nice setup. And I got to say that another thing I loved about this is I love the way that Mazzucchelli draws the vulture. Yeah, he feels very real, right? Uh, and very, there's something very sort of, I don't know, he he, he feels more authentic here than he had probably felt in a long time. Right. Yeah. Um, he, he's very bird-like in the way he crouches. Um, you know, obviously he's, he was drawn like that, um, uh, from the get go, but this is more of like a person who's almost he, for a while, like hiding the shame of what he is, but then also like, I'm fuck it. I'm just going to do this. Like I'm going to be a vulture. I'm going to pick the bones of the I'm dead. Like it. that's, I'm going to go full bore into it. And I think that's one of the things about this is and where Miller took it was these stories had been going on and on and on. You see these characters go through the same level of conflict time after time, dealing with the same people. And what Miller was doing and Denny O'Neill does in this too, of showing like there's a breaking point. You can't do this on a daily basis and not have your life just completely fall apart and, and, you know, Miller understood that on the level of like, well, I'm going to make an entire story about this happening to one of these characters. Um, and not that that was necessarily new. It's Stanley started doing that from the get go of like, well, I'm going to show like the real impact that this would have on your life to be this kind of superhero. You're not just hanging out at the hall of justice. You're having to have a job and all that stuff. But he, he took it to a much higher level. Uh, yeah, well, except for the Stan part. <laughs> that, <laughs> well, was Stan. that was definitely not Stan and Spider-Man. Sure. But uh, that, was, that, was, that was 100% Ditko. <laughs> Stan, wanted, Stan wanted Spider-Man to fight aliens. Steve sure, said, sure. no, he has to have a real life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, I agree, though, about the other part where, you know, it, it is about... And I guess to tie this back to Gibbons and talking about Watchmen, right? Like, because... You know, this work, as you said, you know, that's coming up is monumental and sort of groundbreaking. And and really, for a long time, the only really genuinely evergreen title that Marvel had, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, same, similar with Watchmen. And in both of those stories, you it takes a much harder, more literary and authentic and sort of mimetic view of what it would be like to have a world with these cartoon characters in them. And I, and I love that. I think it's fascinating. It, it's fascinating as an experiment. And, you know, and it starts well before this. It starts with O'Neill and Adams, and it starts with Ditko and, and, yeah. and, and, and those guys long before all of this. They're, they're trying to do those things. They're dipping the toes into that, into that water. But at a certain point, though, like, this is, like, what happens after this and what happens with Watchmen is, like, the peak of that. Like, you can't, you can't go back to that again. Right. Oh, like sure. you can't yeah. you, you cannot you cannot pretend like once they once they did that, then it was over. The jig is up like mm-hmm. and then trying to sort of mimic that or, or sort of follow through on that or or give them more real lives after that. It's just to me, in a lot of ways, mostly a failure because because it can't happen. It has to be over the top and bombastic and cartoony. And it has yeah. to be that sort of light. You have to return to that sort of lightness that we were talking about at the beginning of the show, because otherwise it just doesn't make any sense anymore. You can't put that right. back like, in the box. Yeah. No, yeah. you realize how absurd, once you realize and acknowledge how absurd everything is, like that's got to be a one and done. Right? Well, and I don't, I don't remember which of the two writers said it. It was either Alan Moore or Frank Miller that they were talking about the one-two punch of Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. And I'm going to completely botch this quote, but it was essentially one of those two books was uh, basically the um, – the death of the superhero comic, and then the following was the funeral parade. Right. Um, whichever one was which, I don't remember. But that they were putting an exclamation point on all this stuff and saying, this is about as far as you can take these ideas. And then it does just become like, okay, we're going to just repeat these same cliches or do like I was saying where it's like, well, we're, we'll just make fun of it all because it is all so stupid. But right. I, yeah. One yeah, of the things that I like about this story a lot is that O'Neill emphasizes the vulture's experience and mm-hmm. his and his age because the he keeps calling Daredevil boy. Yep. You have no yep. idea what's coming, boy. Like your life is a mess. Yep. And I can see it because I've been there. I, I I've lived it. I've gone through it. Wait, buddy, it's coming to get you. And I love that about the vulture because not not one of my favorite Spider-Man villains. I mean, yeah, visually he's kind of cool, but as a threat, never really was one. But I think he, like the Kingpin, I think the Vulture may work a little bit better in Daredevil than than in uh, Spider-Man. Well, and it's it's interesting too because there is this flashback of Matt working with Stick, and Stick doesn't call him boy, but he calls him kid. So there is a mirroring there of the Vultures, right? choice of words and stick as this elderly person showing him the ropes. And he does very much get into like, it's not just about fighting. You got to get your other shit together too. Yep. So a big old red flag as to what's coming down the line. Yeah. It's a very good issue. Dap, what did you think about this here? I, I loved revisiting it. Um, I, I'm, I'm always going to, grin like a damn idiot if i see domestic kelly's name anywhere on a project so um going back and reading this was um was a lot of fun yeah the story was uh it's you know daredevil borrowing another one of spidey's villains but it it still um it it did what it was supposed to do and 
the issue after this, he fights Gladiator, and there, I think there's a little bit more leading towards Born Again. The only thing that gives me pause as to whether or not um, O'Neill and Miller were were having any sort of heavy conversations was the last page, because when this when, when and we see the bird a couple pages earlier, just just chilling on a wire. Uh, it's if they're going to introduce this character or, or set something up where he's going to have to face Daredevil, knowing that Born Again is coming up, this particular plot line isn't going to be resolved for over half a year. And, yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't know if that's something that they just decided to throw in, or I. So it, I'm not I'm, I'm not discounting it. Absolutely. I mean, if 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 they're planning, you know, books weeks and months in advance, then obviously they know that Miller's coming back. He's got a story to tell. It's going to be pretty big. Um, it's it's just it is one of those. It's the only because th- I, I, as I'm as I'm flipping through the pages again, as as you three are discussing it, and I'm 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 nodding along until I get to that last page where I'm just like I don't I I, I it could hold water. I just don't know how much, but. The, uh, oh, I don't think that they were necessarily um, like working hand in hand. But right, I do. Right. I do think like maybe there was a phone call here or there, or they were working through. Yeah, I always say. And, and this could have been. I mean, even but, right, and because because it could have been like if if O'Neill had something to do with this, the, the, this character, he had a direction to it, mm-hmm. and then Ralph calls him and he's like, "Yes, yeah, so so Frank's coming on in a couple of issues." Then then O'Neill's like, "Well, shit, you know." David already drew this page. It's already part of the story. So yeah. I'm just going to, you know, wherever it falls, so be it. Sure, but, yeah. But yeah, they the, handled the, it well. There's oh, even sure. Christian mythology in this last page. A voice from a cave? Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, what other book are you going to do that in, then, Daredevil? Um, I think it's perfect yeah. to, uh, you, you can't have Daredevil without Christian mythology. It just mm. falls apart without it. Um, and everybody has to do it. I mean, even I mean, when when Marvel Knights took off and and Kevin Smith is telling his Guardian Devil story, I mean, that's all in there too. So it's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like everybody has to do it. I have no idea if Zdarsky's doing anything with it, but it is. It's just one of those things where they it 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 is. It's so connected to the character, and even before you know, we realize what his mom's profession is. It's just it it always is. It's it's just it's. Yeah. It's the Catholic guilt. It's the upbringing. It's it. Yeah. So it's wait, it wait. Just fun. wait until Karen gets the AIDS. Oh my God! <laughs> there you yes, go. Yes. I, but I, I got to thank Matt because you reminded me uh, how much I love Daredevil. Yeah. I just nice. yeah. I just don't don't read him currently uh, or yeah. haven't read him in a, in a while. But um, like we should throw Love and War into the book of the month one of these times or mm-hmm. um, eventually. Um, don't, don't don't tease me. Eventually, born again. I'll <laughs> yeah. open. I'll open the episode with a little bit of Sabbath. <sighs> There's. I just. Yeah. I. I. Of course. You know, born again is what I compare any creative team taking on Daredevil. Uh, I, I always compare it to that, and you know, yep. Wade and Sami came. I mean, it, they weren't doing anything heavy. Like what Frank and David did, but still, I mean, it was 
it was a solid creative team with Wade and Somni and 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 they told fun stories with the character and 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 there have been entertaining Daredevil stories since Born Again. I I, I like Guardian Devil, but it is it's there are it. Uh, he's, but, Daredevil is a character where the titles definitely had some rough patches. Right. But aesthetically, in in terms of the art of crafting a, a, a living document, visual document, you're done after Born Again. You're yes. finished. It's it, there's there's no more. It is an IP and it's owned by something, so the stories must continue. And some of them are fun, right? And some of them, you know, they get you over the hump. But Daredevil ended when Miller left the character. Yeah, yeah. Seeing Frank and Karen walking down the street hand in hand down that block. Yeah, you're done. That's it. That's it. Yep. Well, yeah, I think it goes back to that idea that that Miller probably had where he wasn't looking into the future and saying, okay, people are still going to be telling Daredevil stories 30 years from now, 40 years from now. There's going to be a TV show like he really thought like, okay, this would be a great way to just cap this. And of course, the rumor has it that was supposed to be the the property aren't going to allow (laughs) that to happen. Right. In his because. You know, I think the one thing that, um, you know, going back and looking at Watchmen this past week and a half and trying to understand, like, well, why was this so impactful is that it really was crafted like a novel. It was crafted in the way that, you know, John Irving or or Stephen King would craft a novel. And, and Miller started to do that as well. The crazy thing about Born Again was that it was told in the actual series, and I bought them at the grocery store as they were coming out. And I, I was going to ask that, did those have the code on them? Um, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. that's crazy to me that there's, uh, yeah, I mean it was the '80s, but um, it, it, I, I wonder if that book would have had more impact if it was just released as a standalone graphic novel and not part of the. Um, the the ongoing right. I think it may have confused people. Yeah, because I mean, at that time, that wasn't. I mean, yes, it, it was. It, it it happened, but it wasn't commonplace, right? Mm-hmm. And sure. um, especially like for the Marvel graphic novel line, most of those were looked at as like inconsequential. Like mm-hmm. you know, uh, She Hulk, Doctor Doom. What is this? You know, uh, yeah. For every great one. Like like the Daredevil Love and War or or X Men you know God Love Man Man Kills there was a a stack of them that were just whatever they were just sure. to get you to buy it right yeah so I don't know I I I kind of like the fact that it was a stealth missile right w- within the the issues the regular issues um yeah it's, it's, there's for me anyway um I I I check out Daredevil from time to time but it's it, I have zero hope. That it will ever, because that that's the 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 period Miller's born again. I think is the period at the end of the sentence. Mm-hmm. Did, did Love and War come out after, or was it before? It was before that came out. Um, so Dark Knight Returns was coming out. Love and War was released, and then Electro Assassin started up as at the same time. I think Born Again was in the right, ongoing. Okay. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy that he did all of that within a year. Right. I mean, he obviously there was lead up between you know finishing Ronin, but I just. <laughs> uh, 
I jokingly said I was I was I was putting images online from the um, the uh, the art, it's not an artist edition but it's the the Dark Knight Returns version of the artist edition and I was trying to find like the most rushed wild crazy you know marks that you could find in that book and i and i tagged it cocaine it may have actually been zach somebody called me out it's like that's not cool dude i'm like the man was on cocaine from all reports and if that made him allowed him to do all this stuff great more power to him if that's what kept him up and doing this stellar work for this time period you know don't worry about don't worry, that was not me. I would never call you out on saying someone was on co- okay on cocaine. Okay. <laughs> and I just used I just said the word cocaine. It wasn't even yeah. like whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I feel bad that I I said what I said about Stan Lee just now. It, it was uh, the person who wrote the book on Ditko. Yeah, yeah, no, man. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There, th- that time you really fucking stepped in it. Like we're just like <laughs> done professionally. Like this is it. Well, the thing was, I almost said Roy Thomas, and then I was like, nah, I don't want to say that, but. Ugh. Yeah, don't do that either. Okay, there you go. Uh, the the one that Dap picked, I have to be totally one hundred percent honest. It definitely the best of the three. Really? Yes. I love wow. this one too. I love it. I love yeah. this issue. Uh, I mean, there there's a there's a lot going on in that Daredevil issue, and there's a lot of weighty. Uh, subjects, but just to get a bizarro uh, mindfuck like Steve Gerber and freaking uh, Rick Veach going on, I just love this issue. Yeah. Uh, well, if if for anybody playing at home doesn't know, um, Gerber and Veach, the creative team behind the final issue of DC Comics Presents, number ninety-seven. Um, I sort of kind of cheated as well. I knew I was going to do a team-up book. I didn't know if it was going to be a Marvel team-up or a DC Comics Presents. So I, I had I, I, I had a few in front of me. And as I'm going through, because I had, I had, um, I thought about the one with Superman and Ambush Bug by, by Giffen. Um... I, I had a couple that uh, that that Jim Starlin had drawn, so I was I was kind of looking all over the place, but then I landed on this one, and and I just knew it because once I saw when once I remembered once I saw the credits that that Steve Gerber wrote it, I was like, well, that's a given, and because Veach can draw some really whacked out and warped weird shit, I figured this is perfect for Matthew. Yes, and I. I now that Zach is here, I, I, I figure, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to hear his two cents as well. But it's just, it is, this is, this is a story, even though it's the last issue, and it's, it's, it's covered dated September 1986, so, so not that long after the other two we're talking about. But uh, it was actually, it, that's the cover date. It was, it was actually on the stands um, late spring, early summer. But, um this is a story that is told from the pre-crisis days in Superman's world of, of, of the DC universe. So uh, even though the crisis had just wrapped up, uh, this book was still going because this this book had to finish because Burnham coming on to do the reboot of Superman and Action Comics became Superman's team-up book. So, so this series was ending, uh, 
this was the story to end it with. And um, and there's not really a whole whole lot of, of Superman proper in this because it, it's, <laughs> it takes place. Uh, well, the story starts off uh, on Krypton where um, Jor-El is stressing. Uh, the, the world is ending. And um, and he decides to, to go and fuck around with the Phantom Zone, and uh, no good can come of that. Uh, he gets his wife involved, and it's it, it's there's. Then we segue over to an wait, wait, wait. It's strong, strongly, strongly implied that he saw the Phantom Zone as a dimensional gateway to right. a, to another to Krypton. Him. Yes, just to, to save, save crypt- that's fucked yeah. up dude that is really fucked up that he he he's like oh well i'll just make this this friggin uh we'll all be ghosts transmitter and then I, we we can go here and live like what? okay <laughs> go ahead i'm sorry and, and and oh but i mean but it just gets crazier from there because yeah. we, we we're, we're introduced to uh krypton's executioner who um who who uses of course you know once once your criminals are are, um, are decided to whatever their sentence is going to be, and it's decided that they're going to go to the Phantom Zone, you have one person who, you know, instead of hacking their head off or or, or standing by the guillotine, he flicks on the Phantom Zone projector, and bye bye bad guy, except for one individual that Jorel decided to uh, pull rank and uh, whip his dick out, and he decided that I'm going to take care of this guy instead. And and we're introduced to a couple of other um, some narrow duels who 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 wreaked havoc on Krypton, um, and and of course just you know the the one dude who wasn't all that bad, he just uh, he just decided to make a serum from um, from the horn of of an animal of an animal inject him with inject himself with it, um, and it didn't it it didn't necessarily cure anything. It just um, it it gave him a horn changed his skin to a gray color and of course there was a smell so uh he just screwed himself more than anything else but yes he is also sent away to the um to the phantom zone but the phantom zone's already uh sort of kind of inhabited um by a uh by someone called aether who um resents jorel's intrusion into the phantom zone um and uh, it it's it just it's beyond nuts. And we bring yeah. in Mixopidilic and uh, Bizarros, and uh, I, there, there's there's one line where Mixie is just like he's like, listen, man, nothing's going to top the look on your face of all those green corpses falling down around you. And I'm like, dude, this is. So, I mean, I know, I know whatever happened to the man tomorrow the 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 alan moore story i know that that was dark af and 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 that was twisted but i i forgot how how insane this one particular story is and it it was just it's it's so weird for me to see again this superman pre-burn having to go through this. I mean, this is the same Superman who handful of years prior 
in order to you know they, they decided to make kryptonite inert and he's sitting there munching away on it like 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 it's like it's a mango it, it's just i it's the same character who just did goofy shit like you know move a planet back into back into where it belongs in space and and here he is having to face death and destruction and and it's somehow connected to something that his dad did it is just it's it's completely bonkers it it made sense that gerber wrote this it made sense that Nietzsche could draw it i just i i was as freaked out again this week as i was years ago when when i read this off the stands well but what did you guys think it's strongly implied that the phantom zone is is sentient right that, that it's right. it's aware yes. yep. and aether, and aether is the phantom zone right. right and it and all these these ne'er-do-wells that are dropped in there and all their negative emotions of hate and death and and uh brutality and 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 murder all of the the stuff the phantom zone is like what the fuck is this i gotta protect myself from this and it looks and all this stuff, and it creates a crystal heart infused with all these negative emotions. And it tries the the heart is the thing that tries that that it uses to keep all of itself safe from all of these 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 negative emotions. And fucking McPitalix <laughs> <laughs> of all characters at the end commandeers the heart and. And in a sense, wins the day. Like it does not make a damn bit of sense, but it's no. beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's there's a logic to this story. It's a Gerber logic, right? Um, but and it's there's no fanfare at the end. It's just that Mixpitalix becomes the heart of of the Phantom Zone in in a sense, and is is now Ether, and then pops away for the reason that that Dap says, like. All them them dead dudes falling out of the sky. There's no way I'm gonna top that. So you know what? You, you knocked off Lincoln's head. I'm done. So I'm just gonna leave <laughs> you alone. It is the weirdest freaking story. But remember, at the time, Gerb or not Gerber, um, Veach was on Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. So the fact that my dude who drew at the time, in my estimation, the best monthly on the stands, it was known for this kind of story uh, albeit by alan moore right nothing good can come of rick veach drawing a superman story i mean you've seen it in swamp thing when he when he come when he took over uh writing from alan moore there's a superman appearance like it's just that i can't see rick veach's work and think oh okay this is going to be bright and sunny no it's not it's not (laughs) happening no and the world is on fire. He's got the monument, the Washington Monument behind him in the last panel. It's just, it, it is, it's, it's almost like this is a final Superman story. Yeah, I would love to see this in a, in a non-code book because I'm only, I'm guessing they only scratched the surface of what they were. Oh, man. Right? Oh, for sure. Have, yeah. Do you know if, if um, I'm sure you do, how often has, has Gerber and Veach worked together? I uh, not often. No, okay. no, not often at all. In fact, um, uh, uh, this may be okay. The only time? No, can't be. I, I, I don't know, Matthew. We are, can look. Yeah. Do, do you know if Gerber worked a lot? For, no, my mind, was, no. 
I, I, I was going to say I, I, I feel bad because I've never like fully immersed myself in Steve Gerber's work. I've just read a little bit here and there. I've read some interviews with him, but like it's almost impenetrable to me because the ideas are just so out there. And because I'm only reading random issues, I've never really gotten a grip on what Gerber's about. And I hear you talk about them all the time. And I'm like, man, I need to like, like find my way in. And I just never have. And even this, like, as you guys are explaining things in it, I'm like, wow, that's a really great idea. I did not get that in my read of it. And maybe it was, I just didn't, um, I I just didn't give it its due because I felt like I was missing something. Um, I thought there was a a longer story leading up to this. And I was like, I don't really. Okay. No, the, the the issue before this, uh, I think it was um, he teamed up with the vigilante in a in, in a regular story. There was there was firestorm, but there was it, everything was normal up until this point. This was just like the last issue. I don't know if this was an inventory story. I don't know if if they wanted to just kind of make it fit into what Moore did in his last Superman in, in this version Superman story. But so this I, is the first time you you read this issue, Matthew. Yeah. So I. I have a run of DC Comics Presents from like the first issue up until maybe 30 and then some random issues. I think what confused me was that the cover says the final chapter of the Phantom Zone criminal. So that just made me assume that this was... <laughs> there were more chapters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that would, that would uh, indicate that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a big F you. I really do. Be- <laughs> No, be- this choice was a big F you to, to Jason because I didn't realize Jason wasn't going to be on the show. I'm like, oh, he's going to force... Jason to read oh, I can only imagine what Jason <laughs> would love it. And uh, the thing that got me giggling was it's an untold tale of the pre-crisis universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I, I, I really, really, really love this issue. It's just. Is it the first time you read it, Vince? Ah, uh, no, I read it back in the day. But to tell you the truth, I didn't pick up on half of the stuff. Right. Uh, you know, because at the time, I, we, uh, reading like thirty, forty comics a month no it was just uh, I, I couldn't glom on to to everything the the narrative um the narrative voice when uh gerber enters the 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 phantom zone and he's he's using like three different layers where it's like a descriptive layer and then almost an onomatopoeic layer when he's like hate mm. death murder and then there's another layer that he's kind of res- that the 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 ether's responding to itself or itself it's that's typical gerber like he always tried things like is that is ether the the narration that's in yellow or i was that yes i thought that's okay. what i got Ethan where he just was, keeps saying the self is the self is yes, the self yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but, but uh well which part are you asking about it's the first time i read it or something else first time you read it first time i read it that's okay. definitely the first time I read it. But I've read a lot of Gerber, though. Sure, yeah. So, um, but I, yeah, again, I, I, I love this. I, I thought this was really brilliant. And uh, so I, to respond to the question about the, the, the sort of tripartite narration boxes, I kind of got the impression that once Jor-El penetrates the Phantom Zone, the Phantom Zone has a sort of, which is sentient, has a psychic break where it is arguing with itself. Yeah. Mm. Right. Okay. So there's one layer where it, it is trying to sort of cope with 
the immense amount of evil and hatred that is being pumped into the Phantom Zone by the fascists on <laughs> on on Krypton, right? And then and then there's that there's that blue layer where he's, where the Phantom Zone is also sort of narrating to itself the creation of of a universe that it it manages just as it sort of manifests the heart, but it creates it seems to create an entire universe, right? Where people live and die and all the people outside live and die. And it is still sort of insulated inside itself until it comes together in that cross like shape and bursts forward as, as the heart, which apparently as I'm reading it, and maybe you guys feel differently, but like as I'm reading it, everyone that was in the phantom zone is dead and the heart has absorbed their consciousnesses. And then when the phantom zone uh, as it's floating around, it's got all these sort of ghost-like, these apparitional figures of Zod and so on and so forth, who haunt who haunt Jor-El's dreams, and then are made manifest by this by this cultist who sends them out to uh, destroy the Bizarro world, and then recap, and then they recruit. After they do that, they can't control it. Then they recruit Mitz- Mrs. Spinelik. Then remanifest them to destroy Earth, right? It's like it's really weird. It, 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 it yeah, it definitely is. It, it feels it like it may, and maybe I'm stretching on this stuff, but I really don't think I am. But maybe I am. But it feels like all of those people are dead, and then the negative zone remanifests them as though like they are products of the mind, like they are something like in the mind that is now made real. Well see, that's a difficult call see, because once you're in once you enter the negative zone, you're incorporeal, right? So is that a ghost? Is that an essence? Is it a soul? Like what are you when you enter the, the phantom zone? You're it seems to be disembodied consciousness because he says that that all the all the else died. Right. Okay. And he calls it uh, an interfusion a billion billion souls merge to form a single will and a single self, and that's where you know where you see the heart traveling yeah. through the galaxies. It's, it's there you like go. The, it's like the evil version of Carl Sagan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Carl Sagan and Cosmos says we are a way for the cosmos to know itself. Well, it seems that this is a way for the negative zone to know itself. Yeah, wow. I I love the um, what's her name. Uh, Fiora, Fiara, Fiara, whole yeah. all. She's just so freaking murderous. Like she's a serial killer, and they just and and instead of just you know killing her, putting in ending it, putting a, a a period at the end of her sentence. Ah, you know what could what could happen? We'll just put her in the negative zone. And I I, I definitely think the executioner would have voted for Trump. Oh, oh for sure, sure, yeah. Sure. Jack's a big Trump guy. Big one hundred percent, one hundred percent. The uh, I, I got a kick out of uh, just a regular old fashioned flathead screwdriver right there on the splash page. <laughs> uh, but what I also found odd was when he was running down the type of people he put into the, the criminals that were van- vanquished to the Phantom Zone. We get to Dr. Zadu down in the Antarctic City experimenting on humans, not Kryptonians, humans. Yeah, why not? Uh, they're not human. <laughs> I, maybe that's why not. But if they made it to Earth, then obviously Superman wouldn't have been the first. They know they could have lived there. But um, aside from that little editorial snafu, it like yeah. I mean, you, you you guys have said it. This was just a a weird freaking issue. Yeah, I think it was a great way to go out. I really do. It, um, it it is 
all kinds of wrong for DC Comics Presents. That start, start, started off with a race between The Flash and, and, and Superman. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. And then you just, like, uh, Clark is sitting at the news desk and Bizarro's head comes flying through the ceiling and lands on the table and starts yeah, he- talking. This reminds me of that issue of uh, Miracle Man where shit just completely goes oh, right. crazy and yeah. they're destroying the city. Like, this is that level of, like, it's all going back to the British stuff with this episode. Yep. Yeah, and and if you um, notice a lot, we're in the same bracket of time with all of these issues, mm-hmm. yeah. give or give or take, uh, you know, six months. I think uh, that it's that's just odd. That's not supposed to happen, but it, it does. I the only negative thing I'm going to say about this um, is I wish there was a better inker. I don't think Bob Hall yeah, like like does not. Yeah, it's already rough when you've got Veach. He's a he. Great storyteller. When he inks himself, he's great. But I, I don't feel like Bob Hall uh, did his best work on this. Right. I, Bob I, Smith. Uh, yes. I, yeah. Bob Smith. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But, I mean, to answer your question, if you want to take a deep dive into Veach, there's only one book to read. That's Howard the Duck. Because Howard the Duck is... is uh, not Veach, Veach or Gerber? I'm Gerber. Yeah, Gerber. Um, yeah. yeah, I screwed up. I've, Howard is, is Steve Gerber. Yeah. So... And it's yeah, not that again, long have, of a run. I have it's, random issues that, and and I have random man thing issues, and they're they're great. But it's just like, man, I need to just start from the beginning. Yeah, take it all in. Yeah, yeah. I, I always say the the um, the greatness of Gerber is that he is one of the only ones, in my estimation, that could write a series about. Like the title character is not the focus of the series. Mm-hmm. The man thing, it's not about the man thing. And and Howard, yes, more or less, it's about Howard. But um, like o- Omega, um, the unknown, not so much about Omega. Like he, he always sure. diverted attention to to other areas. He he was a brilliant writer. I don't know when he died. I was trying to think of when exactly he died. I'll tell you like right now. 2000 plus, right? Uh, 2008, mm. he died. Oh. Right. But another person that at the time, like with Frank Miller, when he took over Daredevil, where these these guys were, you know, they're part of the bullpen. They're, they're working like every other writer and, and artist that were making comics at this time. But they, there was this understanding of like, we can do anything with this. You don't have to just do these rote, Right, traditional stories. You can go anywhere with this stuff. That's the brilliant. That's the one thing I do recognize in Gerber. Anytime I do read his stuff, it's like he understood this is limitless. This this art form. Right. He his dare, defenders are is insane. Mm. Okay. Just just pulling um, mythology from Blue Oyster Cult. What? <laughs> okay that's cool uh just it, it's just that's what I, I love the most about gerber was he he was the, the the one nail that stuck out the most to me back then like this guy's stories are not the same as as mm-hmm. all the other dude's stories yeah and that's and that what i've read he was like super flaky um yeah. but everybody loved him everybody thought he was a you know, great person to be around but um 
Yeah, what I mean, like, what would be his definitive uh, other than Howard the Duck, like a um, more easily digestible, um, like maybe just a one-off uh, story? Did he do any limited series that I could? Get he did. Nevada is only six issues. It's about a, a dancer and her ostrich. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I might get the unknowns pretty short too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I think that's I read about that, what the Feral Dalrymple uh, yeah. right version of that at one point, but uh, I never read the Gerber stuff. He's got some um, image stuff, like he, he did Cybernary and Deathblow. Mm. Uh, well, there's not so much Deathblow, but the Cybernary backup stories in there. He, I think he even wrote a couple issues of Pit. Okay. But that uh, how about hard time? Destroy your duck? Yeah, that's that's all. I I wouldn't recommend that right out okay. the gate. Yeah. Hard time is 12 issues. It's okay. a, a a young man in prison. Okay. It's cool. All right, this was fun. Longbox mm-hmm. roulette. I love when we do this. Um maybe hopefully we'll do it um very soon. Right? It, it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. You, you, it doesn't cost anything if you have long boxes. You just go. Mine pick cost them. me sixty-five cents <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> well, mine cost me a dollar. Yeah. Yep. Cool I didn't beans. Shit. You didn't. You're you're the smart one. <laughs> yes. So so Zach, what it, what are you reading, buddy? Uh, you know, uh, well, the semester just ended, so I'm just now getting to read things that, uh, I want to read. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I, I want to read it all, but you know, uh, so I got the big old collection of tits and clits from so 1972 nice. to 87, nice. Joyce Farmer and, uh, Lynn Chevalier and Mary Fleener and so on and so forth. So that is the thing that I am dying to dig into, uh, once this grading is done, and it's very beautiful, and it's a nice package from Fantagraphics. Yeah. It's a nice cover. Mm-hmm. But these are things that, like, uh, some of these I've read, I've read some of this stuff off and on, you know, just in trying to sort of, you know, make sure that I'm aware of what's going on in the underground. But a lot of this stuff I've not read before. I've never read all of Tits and Clits. Oh, great. So, um, so I'm excited to I'm excited to dig in and get the whole thing. Cool. You getting the uh, Gilbert Shelton? books the furry freak brothers yeah nice 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 yeah uh those are pretty much one note but it it, the joy i think with those are in the cartooning yeah that's that's kind of how i feel about shelton in general i mean i i I like it but it is it is all rather one note and and i tend to i just i want if i'm going to read this stuff i want it to be weird and i want it to be you know complex so the stuff that i really gravitate to from the periods like i love spain like i just love spain right yeah. Um, because at least with Spain, like there's like, like I can switch back and forth between Trash Man and the biker stories, and there's there's a variety of things happening. Um, so, and I, I kind of feel the same way about you know the, the women cartoonists of the period. I, I you know I want it to be complex and interesting and give me lots of different things. I want an anthology, not you know 500 pages of the of the same jerk off jokes. True, true. I I like Trash Man, but I think. What's her name? Big bitch. 
that's mm-hmm. fainted. I, I I love that character. It's like, get over here. Just grabs a guy, jams his head between her legs, and then continues on with her, with her day. Yeah. <laughs> Terrific stuff. It is. Fun for the whole family. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she knows what she wants. There's nothing. Right. Yeah. I'm going to take it. Right. All right. Let's check the clock on the wall here. See what we got going on. Oof. We've pushed it to the limit. Uh, anybody else have any any uh, wrap up uh, closing comments on anything that we've talked about this uh, this episode? I have a blast. I, I have a question. Yeah. Oh, nice, a question. I have a question for the group because uh, it seems as though with not the Doctor Who issue notwithstanding, we read two sort of either literal or sort of spiritual endings of things. Right. Or, or sort of talked about them. Right. Right. With uh, like born again being sort of a spiritual ending of Daredevil, even though it's not literally the end. So what are other spiritual endings for comic series for you? Like where does where does the series where does the character stop for you? Right. So if Daredevil stops after born again, where does Batman stop? What is the end of Batman for you right now? Or what is the end of Spider-Man for you? Or what is the end of the X-Men. That means Good seems, question. It, 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 it seems like Dark Knight Returns would be a given. Um, but that is kind of where it is for me. Yeah, I always thought that the character... And it's really odd because Dark Knight Returns was the explosion of Batman's popularity. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Batman was popular before, but with Dark Knight Returns... Everybody had eyes on Batman. It seemed to me. I remember. Um, you, we all know the the perils of being a comic book fan in the in the seventies and and eighties. And I remember being at Wildwood, New Jersey, when uh, Dark Knight Returns was coming out. I think it was at the time of the third issue, and I had a Batman shirt. Just, just the, the 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 yellow oval with the with the black bat on a gray background, and one guy was working. I don't know a game, and um, myself and my then girlfriend walked up to the guy, and he goes, "Hey, you reading that Dark Knight Returns?" And I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> That's when I knew that this Dark Knight Returns thing was meaningful was powerful because the, the guy at the, at the carnival was talking about dark knight returns to me but uh, to answer your question zach the batman in the comics after dark knight returns is not the same batman to me mm-hmm. it's not miller mm-hmm. just put the put i mean yes i love dk2 but that's not the same batman to me it may be a continuation of that storyline right but it's definitely not the same batman how many creators actually get to do a uh, aside from creator own stuff, but but so so mainstream Marvel DC properties? How many writers get to write the beginning and the end like Miller did with Year One and Dark Knight Returns? Right. I mean, he did do it with Daredevil, even though he could have he probably put the final note on Daredevil. But um, and that's that was the other thing I was thinking of when. Matthew talked about how Born Again was taking place within the series proper. Same thing with Year One, and and those four issues of of Batman were just amazing. And and, and I do part of me misses those days when you can kind of have, like, I mean, they kind of do now because they just write for the trade. But um, you know, for a long time, 
instead of telling a character's story like that, they would just decide to abuse the readers and 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 pump out a different limited series to tell that particular story, leaving the ongoing yeah. uh, to be its own thing. But um, aside from Batman, Spider Man, I, I was thinking about Spider Man, and I oh um. I'm I'm this close to saying one more day. Okay, I th- I think the question is more what writer artist um, or writer artist team was so monumentally impactful to a character that it was never the same after their departure. Um, I don't think, aside from Daredevil, that you could make that you could pick someone from that worked on any of Marvel's characters. I don't think there's a definitive um, Spider-Man. I don't think there's a definitive X-Men. No, there isn't definitive. No, well, especially not 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 now that... I mean, you could have said that after Claremont, but once Hickman came on, it, it, that... Right. That, I, for that, that me, after they've, they've finished uh, sucking all the inertia out of what Hickman did for x-men they're never going to be the same characters to me I, I, okay I, I i'm wrong the claremont miller wolverine that character was never the same after that yes yeah i mean i i shouldn't be so so downbeat when it comes to marvel but i think dc has a much more robust um crop of characters from which to choose you could go uh there's a number of superman titles that you could pick right uh, even Green Arrow, you could say when Mike Grell finished with the character, he was done. There's mm-hmm. there's no Green Arrow that can compare to Mike Grell's run. It's impossible. Um, but that's just my opinion, right? You, you can even say maybe um, Green Lantern, right? Uh, Jeff Johns. I, I, I think those are very strong contenders. Are they the last word? I don't know. But definitely Batman with Miller and Daredevil. Green Lantern is pretty good. I do like that one. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, this goes way back, but that's because it's not like there's been a ton of stories with the character. But I, I'll die on this hill. I absolutely love what Wagner did with Etrigan. Oh, in sure. Those, in those four issues, that was right. just that was yeah. Phenomenal. No, he that's was, not. And, a... that was, and that was what it was. And that was supposed to be it. Until DC decided to be like, yeah, that was a great story, but we're going to go back to what the character used to be like. But That's, you don't have to die on that hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. uh, pa- I think pound for pound, the, the uh, you can argue that maybe Mark Wade, Man Without a Country, was the best Captain America story. I don't, I don't know. It, it yeah, I remember, oh, yeah. I remember it. Was it the best Captain America story? I, I don't know. I mean, it might. I mean, it's. I think a lot of people, and I'm definitely not going to give. Grunwald a short shrift. I, I think a lot of people appreciate those who were there when it was happening enjoy whether it was Capwell for the Deathlock stuff or something. Oh, yeah. they, they, they like Grunwald's work, but I think as far as you know, pound for pound, telling a story and 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 giving it some maybe grounding it a little bit more in in Marvel reality, I, I think the Wade stuff is is heavier. Is definitely just more to chew on with that. It was uh, more than just product. I think that's a, it's another wrinkle that we have to examine. Where what what 
which of these stories became something more than just a monthly product design to separate kids from their quarters, mm-hmm. right? And that, that may be a value judgment that we're imparting into the stuff in hindsight. I don't know. But it just seems like the DC uh, Pantheon is much richer. There, there's way more to, to – you could even say um, George Perez and Wonder Woman, Yes. That, yeah, the that's, Wonder that's Woman. The beginning and ending right there. Right. Yeah. Even though Byrne came on the book, right. I was like, no, all right, this was, is fun. No, that was trash. Whatever. Well, I wouldn't call it trash. But it was. Oh, it was Doomsday. It was fun. But. but Wait, Doomsday was in the Wonder Woman run when Byrne Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. I'm glad I. Okay. All yeah. right. Uh, what, what, Doomsday in quotes. You got to read it. Okay. Um, but. <laughs> Do I know? The. Uh, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, not knowing that you know Vince wasn't really, I, I admittedly plugged into DC until Burns showed up to take care of Superman. Um, although, of course, knowing that we've probably gone back and and reread some of the pre some of the DC stuff before 1986, what is your version of the Justice League of America? Oh, are you asking me? I'm asking all three of you. Uh, well, I'll just be honest. I don't have a version of the Justice League. Like Justice League, always seemed like. Eh. Okay, I would have. I would have expected you to say "waha," but that's fine. No, that that was fun. Yeah, but I didn't. <laughs> I, I to be totally honest, I bought the "waha" because of Batman and Superman. Okay, that's it. That's really the only version I've ever read on a regular basis. You know, okay. I bought that from the beginning and, and then went into Justice League Europe and all that stuff. Right. And I I loved all of that so much. So I had no real connection to any specific team lineup prior to that. But that would that would be my choice. Zach? Yeah, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I never, I've never cared about any version of the Justice League outside of the uh, animated series. Okay. Right. Even the the Morrison stuff was just like, yeah, these stories are good, but uh, Prometheus is cool. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't really, uh, I because I'm not an Avengers fan either. Like when you get a right. big big yeah. ensemble, like the Kree Skull Scroll War is fun, but is it? I whatever. Um, the Avengers for me ended before the Leather Jacket era. Yeah, mm. well. Uh, that's that's a good thing. <laughs> that is yes. a good thing, yeah. Yeah. But um I, go ahead. Well, Zach, I was gonna say for your question about a character who has a um a proper ending, but of course with any of this stuff it like it always gets revamped and and you know, rebooted and all that stuff. But I remember being really satisfied with um Nexus when Horatio Hellpop was able to finally stop being Nexus and the Merc basically relieved him of that that uh, felt like mm-hmm. i was i was getting an ending to his story and of course they picked it all back up again and he eventually became yeah. nexus but at i remember when that stuff was coming out at the time it was like oh i feel good that this person's finally able to just live their life and not have to be burdened with this anymore right yeah i guess that's kind of what i mean right like this those things that just like you know, it, obviously, it's not literally an ending because we live in this world of IP where things have these sort of zombie corpse-like existences well beyond their expiration date. But, but there's there's so many of them that feel like they have like these just like very like precise moments where like okay, the book is over. 
the character the character is, is we've said everything that we can possibly say about this and everything that comes after it is going to either be a rehash or a bastardization of of that which came before right so like daredevil when we we're talking about daredevil i just i could not stop i kept thinking about like that like because there's moments in daredevil that follow the miller run that i really like but mm. all of them are just really trying to recapture what miller did right Right. Not a single one of them, I think, successfully has done that, even the ones that I like. Um, but we keep kind of try. We keep going back to that same well when it's it's done. It's over. Right. Like you're not going to do it. And if you do try to do it, well, you're just you're just a poor imitation of that thing. Right. Yeah. So I kind of I kind of feel that same. So I think the I think the Hickman example about the X-Men is really good, though, because he does something totally different. But for all intents and purposes, I mean, the book is basically done when Claremont's done. Right. Like the characters are done. We've said what we're going to say. Like we don't really get like exciting new things. I mean, there might be moments, but like everything we know and love and understand about those characters is established in the late seventies through the mid eighties. Right, but I think the the Claremont conversation or it goes on too long. Like there was a point in Claremont's. X-Men where he just kept saying the same things over and over and over sure. and over. Like you could have stopped 10 years before right. and still would have had a really good run. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, just, I, I love discussions like this because it makes me reevaluate the stories that really matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, it, I, I know I'm, I'm the flag waver for this artist, but it, destroys me that so many of the seminal moments in comics came from the mind of one man. Sure. Yeah. Because if if you say, well, when did, when did Batman begin and end for you? Somebody may say, um, year one, you know, that was it. After that, I'm done. I don't wonder, but someone would say dark Knight returns, right? Um, savvy people may say dk2 but um smart people <laughs> yes uh it's it, it but then you have this vibrant vital <laughs> come here carrie get in my mouth <laughs> um but you can also say that about daredevil like that is the defining moment in in it, it could be um uh born again it could be the man without fear, maybe you know that could be your Daredevil story, which was a great Daredevil yeah. story. But again, from Frank Miller's mind, like we should Futurama Miller and save his head because we don't yeah. ever want Frank to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll end up like Bizarro and <laughs> fall <laughs> sitting <laughs> on our desk. Yeah. Oh my god! Have Clark Kent push Atlanta out of the way. Okay, real talk. Real talk. Yeah. If you had to pick a moment where you were just like, okay, at the end of the story, Superman's done. They're never going to get any better with Superman. What would that be? Superman specifically or anyone? No, Superman. Superman. Yes. Assuming you've read Superman. Mm I mean, I feel like it's its own thing, but All-Star Superman, to me, is just, like, that's the only Superman story I ever feel compelled. Well, that and and for the man who has everything, but um, I I feel like that is just a nice story that anybody could pick up and read and not really know anything about Superman, and um, yeah, that would be my choice. For the man who has everything is, is 
there's a good mention. Yeah. I think <sighs> I think for the man who has everything is the end. But I think also I but I agree with Matt that if I'm going to try to t- explain Superman to someone, I think the quickest and best way to do that is All-Star. My only my only issue with with that is that it is it's it's Grant's it's kind of like their love letter to the Silver Age, and mm-hmm. and even though there is some some modern day uh, tech and, and jargon or, or a feel, it's still it's still kind of based on that sillier Superman stuff. Mm-hmm. And and as great as it was, because I grew up reading that shit, and and as beautiful as All Star Superman is, it's just it. It's it's totally a me thing where it, it it I I love everybody who loves it because listen if that's if that's what made Superman cool to you that that's great I, I don't care how you got to the party you're here that's awesome but it sticks out to me because of everything else more modern that I've read since Burn it just it also Superman just feels a little out of place for me. And that, and that, and again, that, that, that's totally a me thing. And I, and I get that people absolutely adore the story. And that is, I, I, I love that they do, but I've always had a problem putting a period on or, or having all star Superman be the period on Superman. Hmm. Yeah. I feel the same way. I like the story a lot. It's, 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 um, you know it's legendary, but for yep. me, Superman ended with the Triangle Era, when they when they stopped putting the triangle on the cover yeah. of the book. Um, I was done. I I still read them, but I mean, obviously, Burn was the key in the ignition for me, and then uh, uh, Stern and company, everybody, yeah. Wheezy, everybody that touched Superman. Uh, in that bracket of time from from end of crisis and burn coming on to the end of the triangle era that chunk of superman there will never ever ever be a better superman than that and it's a lot of it most of it because burn was smart enough to realize that kirby uh cast the die with jimmy olsen jimmy olsen is essentially the template for all of the triangle era superman no question about it and um maybe that's why i like that era so much but i just think it was a a very familial aspect there was a huge cast of supporting characters that were all very very vivid um even the whole death of which could be seen as a uh cliched kind of marketing gimmick and it was but it worked and we all read it and loved it and it just so happens we got the best one of the best villains in comics out of it uh, <laughs> whatever i i i love love the triangle era if i could i really think that they should re- like they they started republishing yeah. them but i really think they dc should continue that until we have every single one of them republished and then they will stand the test of time as the best Superman ever got. Yeah, for, yeah, it it is. You're not wrong. Nothing you're saying. It, I I I probably definitely it goes up to and through death of and and the introduction of of the four fill-ins. Yeah, 
Um, it might end with red and blue. It might end with electric Superman for me. I'm not sure. Bashaw. I know. I know. I have to. I, I have How about to the really storm giants? And, well, that's because I, I, I didn't even I kind of I, I stepped away. So I didn't even know that like until after it had started that you had folks like Mark Miller writing it. You had Ed McGinnis on art. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think they might've still been the triangle at this time, but it was still, but, but, but they were, but the creators were. Oh, the McGinnis stuff is definitely the triangle era. Right. De- and, without and, and doubt. Yeah. Same thing with Ringo, right? Cause well, Ringo did. Because that was our worlds at war. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah. Okay. You know what, what I liked and I, I, for, I always forget about this. Uh, so, you know, putting, uh, all-star Superman aside, there was a run of action comics. I'm looking at it right now. It started with 647 through 649. It was a Brainiac trilogy, and it's um, Roger Stern wrote it. It's George Perez and Kerry Gamble. And just the art alone on these stories is great, but it's, it's a really enjoyable story. So I would um, I would point to that as being a, a high point. It's from 1990. Oh, that's with Brainiac as the sideshow. Um, the the like the circus performer, right? Uh, mm, I don't. I'm not think entirely so. sure. They're great. It's a great cover. On um, yeah, that whole run with with there's like Ordway works on it. There's an issue that has Kurt Swan, Dan Jurgens, all those people in that era. I, I really really liked on that title. Because yeah. um, they're fun and a little bit dark, but uh, yeah, good stuff. And the yeah, ladies, after. Maxima, Dolphin, like all oh, yes. they just stop. I need, I need those issues. I need them back, Dap. Yeah, I, I need well, them. You know, listen. You know, anytime I get doubles, they're yours. Yeah. The, um. Uh. I um. Yeah, because I think I don't even know how many issues of Action Comics Weekly I have. I think I had. I could have gotten a, a few issues at heroes one year, but I, I didn't, but it, it's, yeah. Once action comics weekly started, um, I kind of bowed out and I, I, that obviously didn't last forever, but, um, there's, yeah, I, it's just, that's, that's that run that, you know, from burn on is just, it's, it's a nice pair of comfortable old jeans. I can, I can put those on anytime. I just, I makes me feel good. And this, uh, I mean, we're, we're just going down weird roads, but there's a not so subtle implication in a lot of books that Luther was sexually abusing Supergirl. Supergirl. Yeah. Uh, It's extremely, um, but not the chubby, bald no Rex. the the main with the red hair son, yes yeah son that's just freaking creepy uh all right we got to move on um <laughs> thank you zach for this <laughs> i think uh, we we should next time um we all get oh, together actually, you know what no i think I, for for me um especially with the dc stuff probably um most of those characters kind of ended for me with um with flashpoint right before Rebirth or, or New Fifty Two. That's when that, that that's when I think a lot of characters can kind of just I can put a period on them. Right. Mm. I think another question is uh, Daredevil aside, why is it far easier to come to a conclusion 
uh, with these characters with DC than it is with Marvel. You know, I think there's I think that there's a, a fair number of Marvel characters that have, to me, cl- pretty clear ends. Really? Well, yeah. you would say Spider Man when Ditko with thirty. Oh yeah, Sp- Spider Man is done. Spider Man stopped yeah. after issue thirty eight. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I'm, I'm three years of comics history. Right. I'm now. stunned that you would have even say that. I know. Yeah. I, I, this, is, this is why I did not. This is why I did not uh, give anybody a hard time when they said that uh, there was no end to Spider Man. You know, that's 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 the wrong <laughs> feeling. That's a wrong opinion. <laughs> Uh, but Doctor Strange is over after Strange Tales 146. It's over again. I'm not, I'm not surprised. Totally over. <laughs> but 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 yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna belabor that. But <laughs> yeah. that because th- th- these are facts, right? Like these are immutable facts. <laughs> uh, but uh, but like the Punisher's over, right? Garth Ennis. Yeah, the, pun- the Punisher's been over. Yeah. Yeah, he's been over. Garth Ennis ended the Punisher. Yeah, I right? think I, I think he ended even before Jason Aaron did his little run. But yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure, right? Like that 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 character is done. Yep. I think I think Daredevil's done. Even like even though like I continue to read it, like it's done. Um, oh, you still read it? Yeah, I still get it. Yeah, because because of the disease. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's exactly what it is, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I still want to read it because it's because it's Chetto, but I just I it's I I just I try. I just can't get into Zdarsky. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I will co-sign. The Punisher, yes, done. I mean, and aside from like you know, like your everyday fascist who puts like a decal on their car or whatever, like <laughs> setting set, set aside, setting aside the neo Nazis, right? Yeah. Like the Punisher, mm-hmm. like, the series is over. Yeah, they just and those get. fuckers can't read, so they've never. Yeah, read. they don't get it. Yeah. They just yeah. don't understand <laughs> it. Yeah. These are these are America's worst degenerates, right? Like yeah. so. Wow. We don't have to worry about what they think or feel. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us one more time. Remember, if you are, uh, if you have a ravenous appetite for collected editions, say the Superman collected editions. Well, hop on over to cheapgraphicnovels.com because you're going to get them for far less than anywhere else. And once you buy a couple or something, you're going to get an email confirmation that you ordered. You're going to be like, yes, I did, but, but, but I was sent here. You're going to reply to that email message, by the way. I was sent here by 11 o'clock comics, and you'll get another email with free shipping credit for your second order. And lest we forget uh, another uh, bunch of, of wonderful people that make this possible, our patrons. Patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. Audio, video, polls, um, you get downloads, pages pulled from comics. It's verisimilitude. Just go there. Check out if you would love to join the family. We'd love to have you. Patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. Anybody do free comic book day this year? Mm-mm. Not I. I so... To answer your question, no. Even though I tried, we um, we saw a one o'clock showing of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Left the theater, went downstairs at the mall to Newberry Comics, and it didn't look like they were participating in Free Comic Book Day. What? Uh, yeah, even though they're, they're obviously a preview shop because a lot of their Funko and and statues and stuff were like you know Diamond exclusives, but um, it, it's mostly I, I walk in and it's mostly like you know. Funko Pops and and vinyl records, but 
Did it really need sale? Even even their collected editions, it was like buy one, get one half, and that included even sale prices. So that was neat. But I left with nothing. Uh, my wife left with some pops. But we, um, and then we got, by the time perused the mall, had dinner, got back home, I walked over to the comic shop, and um, and this was probably close to seven, and the back table was empty. They were done. They, they, I heard that they were extremely busy. They had like maybe six free books left by the end of uh by like you know four or five by five o'clock and so they had a very good day i so so yeah long story short to answer your question it's i i wanted to but no i i I didn't participate okay i did not as well but good old guy that he is dave at comics on the green uh saved one for me and it's the image free comic book day release Featuring The Sacrificers by Rick Remender, Max Fuimara, and Dave McCaig. I'm not going to say much about this book other than uh, I'm glad that these creators are finally realizing what's up. And they're abandoning the mundane for fantasy because Wes Craig did it. After he finished Deadly Class, he went and did. He went on full fantasy with Kaya. Now Remender's getting a clue and he's bringing it. Full fantasy with the sacrificers. I'm, I'm being facetious, of course, but um, I wouldn't have been if Jason was here. Uh, the The book reveals a little bit of the cosmology of this world. There seems to be a sun god that mated with a moon goddess and created a child. And the child is petulant and impulsive and, and dad... Uh, likes to fool around uh being vague because you should just read this and there are anthropomorphic bird creatures that as the title implies the sacrificers sacrifices must be made and at the end of this book um excuses are made as to why a sacrifice is not given to these beautifully uh designed characters i don't know where it's only a hint at what's to come obviously but fuimara holy crap um we've seen what he can do with abe sapien and other books in the mignola verse this guy's just incredible and he seems to have leveled up here even more so pencil this in in your your must buy column the Sacrificers, a new ongoing series coming this summer from Giant Generator and Image Comics by Rick Remender, Max Wimara, and Dave McCaig. Characters are amazing in this thing. Just get it. It's Just free. It. It's free. I'm sure, I'm sure Image does some kind of download where you can go to the Image site and you can download the free comic book day thing. Is They should if they don't. They're giving it away. It's not like they're losing money on it. Let people download it. That is true. Right. Or at least maybe from Giant Generator's website. Maybe Rick can put it on the site. Uh, The visuals are astounding. That's cool. Period. Yes. I'm going to check it out. What did you say? It's not going to cost you anything. That's true. Well, as long as I can get it, yeah. Um, In your travels. Uh, this was something that I just saw in previews, ordered it on a whim. Um, 
I shared some panels with the slackers a couple weeks ago. Um, it's, 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 it's a, it's a graphic novel that's been rewritten. Um, originally published in 1950, it's, it's a picture novel. It, it, it's like considered, I guess, one of the first, even though I guess it's contract with God or Eisner's tenement stories like that's maybe considered the first graphic novel. Um, this is a picture novel originally published as it was originally in 1950. Uh, SourcePoint Press and um, and Tim Fuller republished it, rewrote it. Uh, the original book is called It Rhymes with Lust. SourcePoint has a book out called It Rhymes with Funt. And the art's fantastic. The art by um, Matt Baker and um, and Roy Olson is uh, I I like it a lot. It, it's it's a lot better than some of the or it, it, it's up there on par with with some of the better uh, like romance stories from from back in the day. Um, this is if if you I, I said on the Slack if you're a fan of the ZAZ movies, the Zucker Abrams Zucker movies, like Airplane and The Naked Gun or Police Squad, if you watch the show. Um, if, if you like that kind of corny, cheesy, jokey kind of little more off than your typical dad joke, this, you, you'll, you'll, you'll likely get a kick out of this. It, it's, I mean, there are some, there's, um, there's a couple. Of, I, like I said, I, I shared some panels on the, on the Slack because, out of context, it might just sound like someone trying to explain a joke, which is always a fool's errand. But this, there's, I, there's, um, if it's, I, there's, oh, don't mind me, Sonny. You, you two just keep going, making out. He's like, oh, it's you. I thought I smelled fish, and it's like, and he's, and he's making out with some woman. It's just there's just little nice. corny. The, the, so um, it's it's reworked dialogue yes ah get it and uh there's a um and it's 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 kind of it's it's there's very little like dead space in the word balloons like they they fuller kind of paced everything out so that whatever dialogue whatever conversations whatever's going to go in in the caption boxes pretty much fills it as if it was actually meant to be there so this is the guy that did sham comics. This is a sham graphic novel. Yes, right on gotcha. Top of the cover. Okay, okay, I got it now. Yeah, he's funny. He's he's real it funny. funny. It, yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean, there's there's. I mean, everybody. The, the Bob Woodwork goes goes back to his hotel and he's drinking scotch and yoo-hoo, but the yoo-hoo's gone rancid, so you know he's got to drink just scotch straight up. And it, it, there's just little stupid things like that. But it it's it, there's an actual honest to god story here, and and basically. Um, Margot Funt is a widow of the guy who kind of pretty much ran the town. Um, there's there's mobsters, there's politics, uh, there's there's you know, newspaper men. Um, it, it's you know, the poor you know the, the blind kid delivers papers and and there's an explosion by, at the strip club and and now now the kid's legs don't work so what are they going to get to deliver papers? That's like a little side story. It's just. They they do pack so much in these hundred odd pages. It's it's insane. But the art's great. Um, I I'm curious to read the original story. Um, 
because it's it's a handful of chapters. It's like six or seven chapters, I think. But it it's it's just I had fun with it. I I didn't know what to expect. I was a little surprised at the format. It's it's um it's slightly it's just barely bigger than than a manga. I'm, I'm comparing it to um, Common Rider Kuga, and and it it's it's about that size. Um, so I kind of was hoping that it would be a little larger, but um, everything is still it's legible. Everything's readable. You're not losing anything in in, in the gutters. It it it's really done well. If if um, if you can get your hands on it. I absolutely recommend it if you enjoy that that type of humor. Um, I'm going to look for more of um, fuller stuff if, uh, if if it's like this. But this this was a lot of fun. So uh, from Sourcepoint Press, a sham graphic novel. It rhymes with font. I remember, um, Fanographics republished the original. Yeah, the action, and and so did and Dark Horse. It, and it may even be available within the pages of an issue of the comics journal yep it was yeah yeah Yeah. uh, michael t gilbert wrote in liner notes for 2006 reprinting in the comics journal that it reads like a b-movie potboiler uh yeah but yeah there was a connection to it there as well but yeah so i'm not going crazy you're not yeah that and that the the idea of what you're saying where they redo the dialogue it, it made made me think um my mom said when she was in high school there was a local radio station that whatever the movie of the you know like the midnight movie that was shown on TV that night, you could turn the sound down on your TV, and the people on the radio station would do new dialogue. That's for awesome. Whatever movie it was, so it sounds that's like the comic great. book version of that. It wow. is. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's cool. Um, fun fact, Matt, and you may not be surprised by this, but I cannot stand Mystery Science Three Thousand. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's so I smart. I, I know it's such smart, smart cases smart for that too. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it either. I I think it's an abomination. <laughs> I, yeah, I, so you said that often. <laughs> I'm not trying I'm, to piss Zach off. But I'm yeah, I'm, I'm that because I remember I I subscribed to Video Watchdog and yes. Tim Lucas was very anti MST3K, but he eventually came around. And what was making everybody angry at the time was that they were getting really nice prints of these movies that weren't available on VHS at the time without their commentary. So people were angry, like, why can't I watch whatever the movie is by itself? And they eventually started to do that where you could watch it with their commentary and then they would also have a right. a, a version of it without that. But, I, I mean, I think that those guys had a genuine love for that stuff. I don't... Yeah. I don't know. I, I always thought it was really, really funny. Oh, I didn't. Th- I don't think that they were, they were malicious or they were trying to make fun of it in the sense that you know this is stupid. So we're going to show you how stupid it is. I think they actually enjoy the movies that they're doing. I just the whole, it's it's weird, probably coming from me, but yeah, the whole the whole idea of watching these dudes and these robots sitting in front of a theater looking up at the screen and and just talking over. The movie that that just I, I I can't get yeah. It. Do you do you guys remember the movie? It came from Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm assuming you hated that too. Um, not I don't not, not especially. I just think it's okay. I I dis to be totally honest with you. Maybe I've seen about four episodes of Mystery Science Theater, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately, one of them was. Uh, 
one of the Gamera movies. I forget which one it was. Oh, sure. sure. They did a whole bunch of those. Yeah, yeah. and and I love those movies. Yeah. And and when they were when they were shitting all over it and and just you know I was like what what am I what no no you <laughs> so, just you know I I totally get that but just to be the contrarian I guess um you know joking booze aside I don't really give a shit what anybody thinks about this stuff but uh like. For me, when I was watching that stuff as a kid, I, you know, if I, when I was started watching that show in the early 90s, I didn't know who Bird Eye Gordon was. Right. I had no idea who Roger Corman was as a sixth grader. But suddenly I knew who Bert Gordon was. I knew who Roger, who, I knew who Corman was. I knew who all of these people were. And I, I am deeply passionate about all of those movies today because of MST3K. Wow. You learned about them from that show? Because I was I was a kid I was I, it was on so when I first saw that show like our basic I lived in a rural town in rural How Indiana we did you? not get we did not get Comedy Central or or Ha or whatever right right so MST3K around season three or four went into maybe five uh, went into syndication on NB, uh, went into syndication as the MST the Mystery Science Theater Hour so on Saturday nights I would watch. As a elementary school kid, I would watch SNL, Kids in the Hall, and then back to back hours of the Mystery Science Theater Hour. Wow! Uh, so I was learning about you know uh, Hercules conquers you know the Martians or the Moon Men or whatever it is, right? Like wow. it, so, so, so that was my first exposure to some of those movies outside. So we had a we had a horror host, Sir Graves Gastly. Yes. Like, so Sir Graves Gastly was out of Indianapolis. So we so I watched Sir Graves Ghastly all the time and um and the other sort of stuff that we could get on our on our local but like even that did not I was too little for that right but the goofy fucking robots and uh the the sleepy eyed guy like gave me access to this whole world that I did not that I just didn't know exist because I was too young and I you wow. know I'm not going, I'm not going out to you know head shops and finding these things MST3K at two in the morning on NBC. You know, gave me access to all that stuff. I didn't even think of that angle. Yeah, but I, but I, on the other hand, like even though, like you know, jokes—that's what I was saying. Jokes aside, like I totally get why people who genuinely love these movies, as I do now, would see those, would see MST3K twenty-five years ago and go, "Oh man, what, these assholes! This is a great movie. These are a lot of fun. Why are they shitting on this thing?" Yeah, right. So I totally get that. But for me, it was a wildly different experience. And I just spent I just spent eighty dollars with with Severin <laughs> to to get um oh what's the it's Pod People on MST3K but the the Italian film is called something else the name is escaping me oh but, yeah 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 let's but I just I just got, visitors yeah extraterrestrial visitors yeah <laughs> so, which is by like, the director of Pieces I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. saw I saw that show up on Amazon and I didn't realize MST had done it and so I. I'm watching this fucking thing. And I'm looking it up on IMDb. I'm like, oh my god, the guy who did pieces made this, right? And I I took a little clip of it and I put it on Instagram and people started commenting. But what they were commenting made no sense to me. I'm like, what are they talking they're about? Saying, they're saying it stinks. They're saying all of these, yeah, these lines from <coughs> the show. And then I suddenly understood where Vince is coming from. I'm like, I liked enjoying it just on its own. The fact that it's you know been. Um, uh, uh, adopted by by those guys, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm with Zach on that. I go, going back to the um, 
what I was saying earlier about the um, that movie, uh, it came from Hollywood. The same thing. I didn't know who Ed Wood was uh, mm-hmm. until I saw that movie. So that right. was my introduction to that stuff. Because Fangoria wasn't really – they would mention Ed Wood every now and then, but – that was like when I actually saw clips from the movies right. and thought, oh, I need to watch this entire thing, not just this, you know, five minutes that they put in here. Right. And you didn't read Psychotronic? Much later. I read that in, in starting in high school. So, okay. um, you know, so that movie came out in like 82 or something, I think. So that was well before I had access to Psychotronic, right. if, if that was even being published at that point. Yeah. I believe it, the probably the first volume was, and then he graduated yeah. to the more upscale magazine. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even have been aware of See? where to buy that at that that early stage. I was nine, ten. Nice. See, I don't need just one more as it relates to Michael J. Weldon, right? Like the only reason I know who Michael J. Weldon is 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 again because of MST3K. Mm-hmm. Yep. Damn you! Shut up! I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Goddamn, Zach, always making me look at things from different angles. Sorry. I can't be myopic with you around. Nope. No, no. I won't allow it. Shit. Uh, where who? Where did we leave off? Whose turn is it? Uh, either me or, or Zach. Okay, well, you yeah. pick. Fight it out. Knife fight. <laughs> Knife fight. All right. Uh, well, I got uh, – mine is expensive. And I have a caveat with it, but um, in your travels, um, if you consider yourself a Frank Rosetta fan, get the Tashin book that came out a few months ago, The Fantastic Worlds of uh, Frank Rosetta. A gorgeous, gorgeous package. Um, the 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 quality of this book is stunning. It is a, like you won't need any other. Well, there's where the caveat comes in. I would say you don't need any other Frazetta book because this is, it's like 470 pages. It's 12 by 16, beautiful paper. It's not on glossy stock, but it is like a heavy coated stock. The reproductions are better than any reproductions I've seen. I I did like side by side comparisons with other books. Um, It is missing paintings owned by Frank Jr. Mm. Um. I, and I, we had gone to the museum uh, a couple years ago, so I was well familiar with what was in that museum. And I'm looking for those paintings because, in like particular, the flesh eaters it was always one of my favorite paintings. And being able to see that in person, I snapped pictures of it with my phone, get, get details and brush strokes and all that stuff. It's not in the book. And I start flipping through it some more, and I'm like, oh, these other paintings that we saw in the museum that day aren't in here. So I know he's estranged from the rest of the family. So that being said, it's a massive book, but it is missing, I would say, a couple dozen paintings and you know, probably drawings as well. But um, you know, it is definitely not complete, but it is the the best reproduction of Frazetta paintings I've ever seen. So I would say it's expensive. It's two hundred dollars, but it's well worth it. Nice. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. So, words by the great Bob Kaniger, art Frank Thorne, and edited by Joe Kubert, the man who wrote uh, wrote a name on your arm, Vince, and then yes. you made it permanent. 
Son of Tomahawk. I love Son of Tomahawk, and I've been um, sort of reviewing and rereading um, Tomahawk and Son of Tomahawk. And the kids can find it on uh, today's internet, uh, you know, at, at all the usual places. Yep. Uh, but it is a terrific, terrific um, series. Son of Tomahawk is fantastic and really interesting. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about it because so basically Tomahawk, when Tomahawk comes out, it has all sorts of problems because it's a white guy adopted by a tribe. There's there's all sorts of racial problems with Tomahawk. So Kubert comes along and when he takes over the editing from um, oh, uh, the guy's name, who, who, I'm misremember, who I'm not remembering at the moment, um, Kubert takes over the book and he's clearly like really um, interested and uh, sympathetic to the sort of swelling American Indian movement. Uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, and uh, the direction on Son of Tomahawk totally changes, and it becomes uh, much more sensitive to uh, indigenous rights issues and, and so on and so forth. And it becomes, instead of being a traditional Western, it becomes more of an anti-Western where it's questioning the values that we say that we had, you know, the myths of the American West. And it is really, it is a really sort of terrifically done series and really, un- I think, underread. Um and uh, I think it's I think it's really beautiful. It's not it has a lot of problems um, because they're trying to sort of be more generous and don't always succeed. Um, but but there's a clear effort there. And um, it is it's a series that I think that gets overlooked. Um, and Bob Kaniger is I think I think is a writer who gets overlooked a lot in that period. But he's trying to push in the same directions as say Denny O'Neill and Archie Goodwin and, and, and a few others are trying to push, uh, during that period. And, uh, it is, it's a lot of fun. So read, uh, Son of Tomahawk. Yeah. Uh, Kenniger's another one of those dudes that like Gerber didn't write about the wars, wrote about the people that were trapped mm. within them. Right. right. Yeah. I think Kenniger's a great writer. Yeah. Oh, he's terrific. Yeah. And, 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 and he's someone that, I mean, they put out that a uh, couple of Bob Kaniger collections when DC was still doing those uh, archive editions with the, with a nice uh, paper. Right. But he's not someone that I think a lot of us are really still really talk about anymore as like a Silver Age, as like among like the great Silver Age writers. And he, I think he is. Oh, sure. I, Easy. I think, yeah. I think, I think Kaniger and Joe Gill uh, are people who just, we just kind of just, you know, overlook. Yeah. Right. And, um, and deserve a lot more attention. You are smart. I try to be. Yes. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you for being here with us one more time. Matthew and Zach, we love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for for doing this. It is true. It's very true. Um, Love you too. Yeah. Come back next week. We'll have uh, probably Jason, maybe, and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff, maybe a surprise or two. Go to your comic book shops, hug your loved ones, eat lots of good food, squeeze your pets, not too hard, and say goodnight. David. Good night. This week, the part of David Price was played by the warden from Minecraft. (laughs) That's what it was. It was the warden.
Good lord. Oh my god. That's a long one, I'm sorry. It is, it is. David. Wow. Right on the nose. We're out of here, people. Tell them you love them. Love yous. Love ya. <laughs> as enthusiastic as Jason does. Really? <laughs> I just don't think people love me. I feel like every time I'm on this show, the wrong. next episode the next episode is like, well, we heard the the reviews and we were back to a regular episode. So no, mm-hmm. they but do. They're not. You. They're not listening to this. Yes, they they love you. They really, really do. We got guys on the Slack that are just like Allison. What? That mm-hmm. a- Anthony G has nice. Yeah, like what 30, 40 OG pieces from you. Yeah, it's wow. insane. Yeah, yeah. Don't sell yourself short, you genius. Okay, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I don't buy everybody's book that is a friend of the show, Matt. But when oh. I do. But yes. when I do, I buy, I buy the good ones. Well, I appreciate that. And if we're still recording, I did one of the things I was going to say, I'm going to be at Cake in uh, two weeks and uh, Heroes Con in, what is that, five weeks? Wow. We are still recording. Yeah. I so I'm gonna, I think I'm going to swing down to Cake. So uh, oh, nice. if, I, if that ends up being reality, I'll, I'll stop by and say hello to you. Yeah, definitely do. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. Look at that. <clears throat> Zach, do you want to yeah. promote anything? You're, you... Sure I do. We'll do it. Uh, okay, so, um, so I'm working on several things. Um, I'm writing a book about Grass Green, the underground cartoonist. Ooh. Um, cause grass green and I are from the same town and I wanted to do a grass green project for a while. And there's not any schol- sustained scholarly work on grass green. So I'm writing a book about grass green. I'm writing a follow-up book about Ditko. Um, that's based on his papers and his, the books that he had. Um, and then I have a secret Ditko related project that, uh, Mike Norton and I are working on together. That is in the early stages. So lots of lots of groovy shit happening, man. Like things that I things that uh, make me explode inside. Even if I say these things in a calm voice, like my inside is on fire. Wow. Well, you're yeah. gonna have to clean it up because I'm not doing it. That I wouldn't ask you to. Okay. This me. this is my mess. <laughs> I will gladly sleep in this fucker. Nice. And yeah. and and Matt, anything you would like to uh, push before we head on out? Uh, there is a new issue of Metal Herlant, which I think comes out, uh, or might be out now. Um, I've, I've, I've seen it come off the presses, and I have a story in that. Um, it's in French, and I'm sure very expensive to have imported over here. But they do tell me that they're working on an English uh, language edition of all the, the issues that they've been putting out. This will be issue seven. And then, um, yeah, just uh, I, I'm working on my next book, Sweet Sepulchre. Um, I'm really excited about that. And, um, when we, if we do talk, Zach, I want to try to pick your brain about some underground cartoonists, because that's a big part of this story is how the, um, the comics code and, and Frederick Wortham basically helped shape underground comics because mm-hmm. of all those, the influence that the pre-code horror stuff had on those guys. So, um, sure. yeah, I'm, I'm, that's my next big thing, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting that done. Nice. You should read Wortham's book on fanzines. 
I have a show of violence and I haven't tracked that down. Is that, that is that on archive.org? Uh, you should be able to read it for free. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I definitely want to read that. Just don't forget about Dennis kitchen. Mm-hmm. I, he sent me a massive pile of underground comics. I reached out to him. I was like, Hey, just, I, I send him the outline for what I'm working on. And he gave me the thumbs up, and then he's like, I'm going to send you some reference material. I get this giant box in the mail of underground oh, comics. He's, he's awesome. It. Lucky he is. Yeah, yeah. A, a true gentleman. Yep. That's it for that one.